This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa la'aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wa la'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa liyus salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك لعبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 28th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And so therefore today is the 28th session and setting of the reading of Tafsir al-Jalalain by its two authors, Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alihima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And yesterday we completed with the recitation of the 28th juz of the Qur'an. And so today, inshallah ta'ala, we begin with the recitation and tafsir of Suratul Mulk, which is at the very beginning of the 29th juz of the Qur'an. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidil Al-Anbiya Al-Mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma khfir li shaykhina wa li walidina wa li jima'in muslimin Qala al-Musallifu rahimahullahu ta'ala fi tafsiri Suratul Mulk 67 Surat Al-Mulk The Kingdom This surah is Meccan and has 30 ayats So this is the 67th surah of the Quran and it is the first surah as we said of the 29th Juz and it is Suratul Mulk and mulk can mean kingdom or it can mean dominion. They are similar in terms of meaning. And this is a Makki surah by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir, as mentioned by Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullahu ta'ala. And this surah is known by a number of names, the most famous of which is Al-Mulk. But it is also referred to often as Surah Tabarak or Surah Tabarak al-Ladhi biyadihi al-Mulk. And from the names that it is known by is Al-Mani'ah, as mentioned in some ahadith. The companions used to refer to it as Al-Mani'ah or Al-Munjiyah. The name Al-Mani'ah and Al-Munjiyah means the one that saves or prevents. And that's because it comes in a hadith. And there are a number of virtues concerning the surah that are authentically mentioned about the Prophet, from the Prophet And as we've mentioned before, generally in the Quran, in terms of virtues for certain surahs, they are uh, affirmed for some of them, but not for the majority of them. And many of the uh, the virtues that people associate to certain passages or surahs are mentioned in a hadith that are weak, such as the ones <coughs> that people often associate with surah Yasin. To the best of my knowledge, there is not an authentic hadith that speaks about the virtue of that surah. However, certain surahs, there are authentic hadith, and from them is this surah, Surah Al-Mulk. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, indeed there is a surah in the Quran consisting of 30 verses. And it will protect it or the one it will intercede on behalf of the one who recites it. And that surah is a surah. It is surah al-mulk. And in the narration of al-Nasai, in the hadith in al-Nasai of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or Ibn Mas'ud said that we used to read this surah and we were told that if you read this surah before you go to sleep every night, it will save you and prevent you from the punishment of the grave. وَكُنَّا نُسَمِّيهَا الْمَانِعَةِ and that is why we would call the surah al-mani'ah, meaning that it is from the names of the surah. And al-mani'ah is something which safeguards you, because it safeguards from the punishment of the grave. And therefore it is 
the sunnah if a person can before they go to bed every night to read this surah because of the virtues that it contains. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم تبارك الذي بيده الملك وهو على كل شيء قدير. Blessed is he who has the kingdom in his hand. He is disconnected and above the attributes of all temporal things. He has power, i.e., dominion and authority over all things. This is the first verse of Surah Al-Mulk and it begins with the word Tabarak. And as we mentioned before, it is the second time in the Quran that Allah Azza wa begins the Surah in this way. The first being in Surah Al-Furqan. Tabarak al-Ladhi nazzal al-Furqan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says Tabarak, the word Baraka means that all good and all mercy comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all blessings come from him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said that Allah Azza wa affirms for himself that he is Mubarak, that he is blessed in two ways. Number one, that it is something which is one of his attributes. As Allah says elsewhere in the Quran, Allahu Rabbul Alameen. So Allah Azza wa is blessed, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, that everything that he then descends in terms of blessings and what he gives is also blessed. And that is everything because Allah Azza wa gives is full of mercy and forgiveness and goodness, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, in the commentary of the first verse, Tabarak al-Ladhi biyadihi al-Mulk. The author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, in the Arabic, and I think the English maybe is following that in its translation, makes ta'wil. He misinterprets this attribute of Allah, that Allah has a hand. And the meaning of Tabarak al-Ladhi biyadihi al-Mulk is that in the hands of Allah belong everything in the heavens and the earth. And it is literal. And so therefore, that's something which should be corrected. It means, as Imam al-Tabari and others said, that the dominion of the kingdom of the heavens and the earth, all of it is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are his actual hands, Jalla fi Alladhi khalaqal mawta wal hayata liyabaluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala wa huwa al-azizul ghafoor He created death in this world and life in the next world, or both of them in this world. The drop of sperm is given life, and it is by its life that it gains sensation. Death is the opposite of the absence of life. There are two views about that. According to the second view, creation means to decree it, i.e. to test which of you is best in action, and who is most obedient to Allah whilst you are alive. He is the Almighty, with the power to take revenge on those who disobey Him, the ever-forgiving of those who turn to Him in repentance. So in verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by mentioning death before He mentions life. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the scholars said, because death comes before life, meaning that we were not in existence, and then Allah Azza wa created us. As we said before in the tafsir of the verse, Rabbana You gave us two deaths and two lives. What are the two deaths that are being referred to? Because we know that we only die once in this life. The second death, or which is the first death, is when we were not in existence. So we were nothing, then Allah created us, and then we die in this world. And that is why Allah Azza wa also mentions death here before. He mentions life according to the scholars of tafsir. Allah begins with death because from the greatest of his blessings is that you were never in existence. And your parents never imagined that you would be born. And no one knew of your coming except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he brought you into existence. And that is the role or the goal or the purpose for which Allah Azza wa created us to test us to see which one of us would be best indeed 
and often in the Quran, always in the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this test, the attribute or the description of the people of that test is always given as the word Ahsan. And Ahsan means those who do best, not those who do good, but those who do best in their endeavors and in their efforts. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want us just to do minimum, but He wants us to excel. And to excel is to do the best to your ability. Because often we think that it's enough to do the minimum. It's enough to do the minimum. But often what we need to do is to try higher because no one has a guarantee that they can even do the minimum. But if you try to do more and you fail, then inshallah at least you've done what is needed in terms of a minimum amount. But if you aim just for the minimum, then what happens if you don't reach that minimum? And that is why the Prophet rarely in that hadith you hear him saying, Oh people, just pray five times a day. Just do, just fast, just make zakah. Those hadith in which those hadith in which the Prophet says such things are normally in response to a question. It's not something which the Prophet initiates because he used to encourage people to do more. But if someone comes and says, Oh Messenger of Allah, it's too much for me. I'm just going to do the five pillars. I'm going to pray and make hajj and fast and give zakah, nothing more. The Prophet would say it's enough. And there is a difference between those two approaches. And so it is important to understand that because that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. الَّذِي خَلَقَ سَمَعَ سَمَاوَاتٍ طِبَاقًا مَا تَرَى فِي خَلْقِ الرَّحْمَنِ مِنْ تَفَاوُتْ فَارْجِعِ الْبَصَرَ هَلْ تَرَى مِنْ فُطُورٍ He who created the seven heavens in layers, meaning one on top of the other, without there being indirect contact. You will not find any flaw in the creation of the heavens or anything else of the all merciful. There is no lack of proportion or discordance in the creation of Allah. Look again at the sky. Do you see any gaps, i.e., in other words, fishes or breaks in it? Then look again and again. Your sight will return to you, dazzled and exhausted. Your sight will be exhausted without finding any gaps. In verse number 4, Allah says, and what you will find as we come towards the end of the Qur'an in many of these surahs now where the verses become shorter and more poetic and they speak about the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or issues such as life and death and yawmul qiyam and the day of judgment is that often these verses are clear. They don't need much tafsir. And that is why as we come towards the end you will see that even the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, in a good number of verses doesn't do any commentary. He leaves them as they are because they are sufficient and the purpose of this tafsir and his book is not to go into detail and every nuance of every word, but it is to give you a good general foundation understanding of the Qur'an. And that is why, that is the methodology that we are also following. In verse number 4, Allah Azza wa says, ثُمَّ رْجِعُ الْبَصَرَ كَرَّتَيْنِ Then let them look back again, meaning twice. But the meaning of the word karratain is as the translator has mentioned. Karratain meaning again and again, even though the literal word comes in the dual form, but the meaning of it is let them look again and again and again. Do they see anything in terms of deficiency in the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You will be exhausted before you find that deficiency in Allah's creation. وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّ السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا بِمَصَابِيحَ وَجَعَلْنَاهَا رُجُومًا لِلشَّيَاطِينَ وَاعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابَ السَّعِيرِ we have adorned the lowest heaven, meaning the one which is closest to the earth with lamps, meaning the stars, and made some of them stones for the shaytans when they eavesdrop, so that meteors are detached from stars 
as a brand is taken from a fire and kill the listening jinn or confuse them. It does not mean that the star moves from its, from its position, for whom we have prepared the punishment of the blaze, leading the fire. <coughs> In verse number 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّ السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا And we know that the heavens are seven, as Allah mentions elsewhere in the Qur'an. Uh, and we covered that verse yesterday, Allah الذي خلق سبع سماوات. In this verse, Allah Azza wa Jalla, generally in the Sunnah, when we speak about the lowest heaven, which is the heaven that is directly above the earth, it is called Sama'ud Dunya, the heaven of the earth. And that is why the author, Muhammad Ta'ala, says it is the one that is closest to us. Because in the Quran and the Sunnah, when we're speaking about our heaven, the one that is closest to us, it is called Sama'ud Dunya, the heaven of the earth. وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمَ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ Those who reject the Lord will have the punishment of hell. What an evil destination. إِذَا أُلْقُوا فِيهَا سَمِعُوا لَهَا شَهِيقًا وَهِيَ تَفُورِ When they are flung into it, they will hear it gasping harshly as it sees. This is an unpleasant sound, like the brain of a donkey. It will be boiling. In verse number 7, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا أُلْقُوا فِيهَا When they are flung or thrown into it, meaning how fire. سَمِعُوا لَهَا شَهِيقَ They will hear its shahiqa. And shahiq, the translation here, I think is not a good translation. Gasping harshly. Because the meaning of the word shahiq is as the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, says. It is a sound that comes from deep within the chest cavity that is extracted with great force comes out with great force as an Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said and there's a big difference between a gasp and between a deep guttural sound at the brain of a donkey and that is what the scholars liken it to like the brain of a donkey but it comes out and it is extremely forceful as al-Tabari rahimahullah said meaning that it is something which is a sound just like the brain of a donkey if you were to hear it over and over again it's a very unpleasant sound and it's very irritating and it's something which isn't a nice sound to listen to perpetually but that is the shahiq of the fire. That's what they are exposed to. And it is worse than that because it comes out with more force and with a greater type of sound. So gasping harshly, it's not a quick translation. But rather the meaning of this is a deep force with a deep voice or a deep sound from within it that is pushed out with great force. That is the meaning of the word shahiq. Or you can liken it as the author has done to the brain of a donkey which is often done in the books of tafsir. تَكَادُ تَمَيَّزُ مِنَ الْغَيْظِ كُلَّمَا أُلْقِيَ فِيهَا فَوْجٌ سَأَلَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا أَلَمْ يَأْتِكُمْ نَذِيرٌ It all but bursts with rage, i.e. with anger at unbelievers. Each time a group is flung into it, its custodians will question them and rebuke. Did no one come to you? Did no messenger come to you to warn you about Allah's punishment? In verse number 8, the alternate uh, reading is with the shadda. You say takadu tamayyazu, but in, in Bazi's recitation, and Bazi is one of the uh, rawis or one of the writers of Ibn Kathir, he makes a mad and a shadda, takad tamayyazu. That's what the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, is referring to. Qalu bana qad jaana nadirun fakadhabna wa kulna. فَكَذَّبَنَا وَقُلْنَا مَا نَزَّلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا فِي ضَلَالٍ كَبِيرٍ They will say, yes, indeed, a warner did come to us, but we denied him and said, Allah has set down nothing, 
you are just greatly misguided. This last sentence might be something said by angels to the unbelievers when they report their denial, or it might be, be something said by the unbelievers to the warner. وَقَالُوا لَوْ كُنَّا نَسْمَعُ أَوْ نَعْقِلُ مَا كُنَّا فِي أَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ They will say, if only we had really listened, i.e. and understood, and used our intellect, i.e. and reflected, we would not have been companions of the blaze. And how many times does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Qur'an, in the verses that we've covered, in the 28 odd juz that we've done so far, that Allah says over and over again concerning them, they don't understand, and they don't listen, and they don't see, and they don't pay heed, and they don't pay attention. And now when Yom Al-Qiyam is entering to the fire, that will be their lament, and that will be their source of remorse, if only we had been from amongst those people who listened and who understood. Which shows you, therefore, that the way that you benefit from, from uh, revelation, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, as Ibn Qayyim mentioned in the verse that we mentioned in Surah Qaf, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ the way that you benefit from is by having attentive listening and by understanding what you hear. Because by doing that, that is how you benefit truly from the Qur'an. Even this tafsir, by having studied the whole Qur'an, if you never go over it again and you never think about it and you never study it more deeply and you never read it again, it will have very limited benefit. Because it is not just simply about reading the translation or even a tafsir or even understanding what someone says. It is about you going back and paying attention to it and going over it again and again. And the scholars of tafsir would make tafsir their whole life's mission. They it wasn't just something that they wrote and left. It's not just something which was a six-month project or a one-month Ramadan thing that they did. This is a lifetime pursuit. And that is how you come to that understanding of the knowledge. And I think I mentioned before the statement of Ibn Taymiyyah. Rahimahullah is reported from a number of the scholars of the Salaf that they said towards the end of their days that if they had one regret, it was that they spent less time or that they should have spent more time with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and its study. And that is because it is something which requires that level of dedication. فَاعْتَرَفُوا بِذَنْبِهِمْ Then they will acknowledge their own actions i.e. now that acknowledgement will be of no use to them. Their own action is their denial of the warners, away with the companions of the blaze. They are far from the mercy of Allah. And the alternate reading of verse number 11 is suhuqan, suhuqan, which is the reading of Al-Kisai and Abu Ja'far. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَخْشَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَيْبِ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةٌ وَأَجْرٌ كَبِيرٌ Those who fear their Lord in the unseen, meaning when they are not seen by people, so they obey him in secret as well as publicly, will have forgiveness and an immense reward, i.e. the garden. وَأَسِرُّوا قَوْلَكُمْ أَوِ جَهَرُوا بِهِ إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ Whether you, mankind, keep your words secret or say them out loud, he knows what the heart contains, i.e. let alone what you say. The reason behind this was that the idolaters said to one another, Conceal your words, and the God of Muhammad وسلم, will not hear you. In verse number 13, Allah Azzawajal says that he is عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ he is the one who knows what the heart contains. But the word that, as-sudur, it's as if that is uh, individuals. It's as if Allah is referring to individual things within the heart. Meaning, therefore, that the, the tafsir of the verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Allah knows every single thought and every single intention and every single thing that a person conceals within their heart. 
So yes, the general meaning is that what the heart contains. But the word that is sudur, that is like an individual component. And the fact that Allah says He knows that is sudur, meaning every individual component of the heart, every intention, every thought, every whim, every desire, everything that the heart contains, one by one, are not just a general knowledge. That is an intimate knowledge that He has subhanahu wa ta'ala of everything that we possess within our hearts. أَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ خَلَقَ وَهُوَ اللَّطِيفُ الْخَبِيرُ Does he know who created, does he who created not know what they conceal? He is the all-pervading in his knowledge, the all-aware. هُوَ الَّذِي جَعَلَ لَكُمُ الْأَرْضَ ذَلُولًا فَامْشُوا فِي مَنَاكِبِهَا وَكُلُوا مِنْ رِزْقِهِ وَإِلَيْهِ النُّشُورِ It is he who made the earth submissive to you, <coughs> i.e. it submits to being walled on. So walk its broad trails and eat what it provides, i.e. created on your behalf. The resurrection is to him. When you arise from the graves, you will go to him for repayment. In verse number 15, Allah Azza wa says, He's the one who has made the earth submissive to you. Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala says, meaning that we can do upon the earth as we please. Because not only do we walk upon it, but we build upon it, and we make roads upon it, and paths, and, and so we use it in every single way. We fertilize it, we grow things from it, we use it in every way that is beneficial to humankind. And Allah has given us the ability to do so. And that is from the greatest science of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you feel secure against, i.e., the power and authority of Allah, Him who is in heaven, causing the earth to swallow you up when suddenly it rocks from side to side and rises above you? In verse number 16, Allah Azzawajal says, Aamintum man fis sama. And this is ta'weel from the author. He misinterprets this, this attribute of Allah. Allah says, Do you feel secure from the one in the heavens? Meaning Allah. And he, in his, in his commentary, says, Meaning the power and authority of Allah. And as we've said a number of times, they often misinterpret Allah Azzawajal being above his seventh throne, uh, above the seven heavens, above his throne, in a manner which befits his majesty, as being his sultan, his authority, his power, and so on. So the meaning is, do you feel secure against the one above the heavens? Him who, who is in the heaven, meaning the one literally who is above the heavens, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then a secondary meaning of that is Allah's power and his authority, and so on. أَمْ أَمِنْتُمْ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاءِ أَنْ يُرْسِلَ عَلَيْكُمْ حَاصِبًا فَسَتَعْلَمُونَ كَيْفَ نَذِيرٌ Or do you feel secure against him who is in heaven releasing against you a sudden swarm of stones, i.e. which relate you, so that you will know how true my warning was. When you see the punishment with your own eyes, then you will know what, that my warning of coming punishment was true. وَلَقَدْ كَذَّبَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَكَيْفَ كَانَ نَكِيرٌ Those nations before them also denied. But then how great was my denial of them when they were destroyed. This means that it was true. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى الطَّيْرِ فَوْقَهُمْ صَافَّاتٍ وَيَقْبِضٌ مَا يُمْسِكُهُنَّ إِلَّا الرَّحْمَنِ have they not looked at the birds above them in the air, with wings outspread and folded back? Allah keeps them from falling while they open and close their wings by His power. Nothing holds them but the All-Merciful. He sees all things. 
Why do they not see the stability of the birds in the air as evidence of our power to punish them in the way that was mentioned? أَمَّنْ هَذَا الَّذِي هُوَ جُنْدٌ لَكُمْ يَنْصُرُكُمْ مِنْ دُونِ الرَّحْمَنِ إِنِ الْكَافِرُونَ إِلَّا فِي غُرُورٍ Who is there who could be a force for you to come to you as a corpse apart from the all-merciful? None can defend you against his punishment, so you have no helper. The unbelievers are only living in delusion. Shaytan has deluded them into believing that they will not be punished. أَمَّنْ هَذَا الَّذِي يَرْزُقُكُمْ إِنْ أَمْسَكَ رِزْقَهُ بَلْ لَجُّوا فِي عُتُوٍّ وَنُفُورٍ Who is there who could provide for you if he withholds his provision? If Allah withholds rain from you, who can bring it? None provides for you except him. Yet they still obstinately persist in insolence and evasion and are far from the truth. In verses 20 and 21, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned these two blessings. One is an army. And the other one is rizq and provision. Ibn Qayyim Taala said because they are the two of the most important needs that humans have. One is to protect you from harm and the other one is to bring you good. So Allah says, do you have an army? Meaning is there anyone that can prevent harm from you other than Allah? And can you gain provision? Meaning is there anyone who can bring you good except Allah Azza wa Jal? Because the basic need of humans is to prevent and withdraw from harm and to be able to bring some benefit to themselves. Who is better guided? He who goes grovelling on his face, or he who walks upright on a straight path? Who is better guided? The unbeliever or the believer? In verse number 22, Allah says, is the one who will walk upon his face. And the scholars, the majority of them, say that this is literal on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, that these people will be resurrected upon their face. And we already mentioned the hadith in which the man said, O Messenger of Allah, how would Allah Azza wa make people walk on their, on their face on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? And the Prophet said, the same way he makes them walk upon their feet in the dunya. And so that is the literal translation, or the literal tafsir. The other position amongst them is that it is a, a metaphor. That the people who are disbelievers on Yom Al-Qiyamah will not walk straight. Just as they never walked on the straight path in the dunya, they don't walk straight on Yom Al-Qiyamah. They walk lopsided. They walk being unable to take a straight path. And this was the position that seems to be favored by Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala amongst others. قُلْ هُوَ الَّذِي أَنْشَأَكُمْ وَجَعَلَ لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبَصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِدَةَ قَلِيلًا مَا تَشْكُرُونَ Say, it is he who created you and brought you into being and gave you hearing, sight and hearts. What little thanks you show. This conveys the believer's lack of gratitude for those blessings. قُلْ هُوَ الَّذِي ذَرَأَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ Say, it is he who created who scattered you about the earth and you will be gathered to him for the final reckoning. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often refers to humankind and describes them as being ذَرَأَ Dara is like a seed that is scattered or that is planted because of the many number of people that the human creation is involved in and the way that they are spread across the earth. They will say to the believers, when will this promise, meaning the gathering, come about if you are telling the truth? قُلْ إِنَّمَا الْعِلْمُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَإِنَّمَا أَنَا نَذِيرٌ مُّبِينٌ Say, the knowledge of its coming is with Allah alone, and I am only a clear warner. 
فلما رأوه زلفة سيئت وجوه الذين كفروا وقيل هذا الذي كنتم به تدعون When they see it, i.e. the punishment after the gathering, right up close, the faces of those who disbelieve will be appalled and will become black, and they will be told by the guardians of the fire, this punishment about which you were warned is what you were calling for, and you claim that you would not be resurrected. The verb is in the perfect tense, because it occurs, its occurrence is de- definitive or definite. قل أرأيتم إن أهلكني الله ومن معي أو رحمنا فمن يجير الكافرين من عذاب أليم. Say, what do you think if Allah, if Allah destroys me and those of me, i.e. of the believers with his punishment, as you intend, or if he has mercy on us and does not punish us, who can shelter the unbelievers from painful punishment? If he punishes us, no one, none can avert that from them. قل هو الرحمن آمنا به وعليه توكلنا فستعلمون من هو في ضلال مبين. Say, He is the Almighty. We believe in Him and trust in Him. You will soon know. Meaning, when they see the punishment with their own eyes, who is clearly misguided, it will become clear who is in clear misguidance. قل أرأيتم إن أصبح ماءكم غورا فمن يأتيكم بماء معين. Say, what do you think if one morning your water disappears into the earth? Who will bring you running water? Who will bring it in buckets if it disappears? This means that no one but Allah can bring it. So how can you deny that He will resurrect you? It's recommended that when the reciter says ماءٍ Meaning water. Ma'in. 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 Which ma'in. is the last word of the verse Ma'in. Yeah. Meaning water, he should say, Allah, the Lord of the worlds, as is reported in Hadith. This ayat was recited in the presence of someone who espoused fatalism, and he said, Axes and pigs would bring it. Then the water of his spring disappeared, and he went blind. We seek refuge with Allah from being insolent towards Allah or towards his signs. And the author Ta'ala mentions this story at the end and, and as possible that's a story that he narrates. But before that the hadith that he mentions that when a person says the word ma'een that they should reply by saying Allah the Lord of the worlds meaning it is Allah who brings that that is a weak hadith. That is, doesn't have a, a basis in the sunnah. It's not an authentic narration. And so therefore even if someone wants to say something like that as they're doing tafsir or something it's not based on a hadith. That is a weak narration that he brings at the end of verse number 30. And Allah Azza wa knows best. 68. Surah Al-Qalam, the pen. This surah is Meccan and has 52 ayats. This is the 68th surah of the Quran and that is Surah Al-Qalam, called the pen. And it is uh, a Makki surah according to the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, if not all of them as mentioned by Ibn Atiyah, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And it is often also referred to in the books of Tafsir and Hadith as Surah Noon, or Surah Noon Al-Qalam. But the most famous name that it has is Al-Qalam. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Noon. Wal-Qalami wa ma yasturoon. Noon, i.e. one of the letters whose meaning Allah has the best knowledge of. By the pen, i.e. which is that which inscribed all created things on the preserved tablet. And what they, meaning the angels, write down in terms of good and righteousness. Allah Azza wa begins by mentioning Noon. And as we've said before, these are those words that Allah Azza wa knows best, what is intended by them. 
Noon is the last of the uh, surahs that will begin with one of these letters. So we've mentioned before, and we've had previous examples of many of them, where there is one letter, or two, or three, or four, and the maximum is five. This is the last one. And as a general rule, and we may have mentioned this before, or I may have forgotten to mention this, the scholars say that every surah that begins with one of these letters, Noon, Alif Lamim, Hamim, whatever it may be, any surah that begins with this, the general principle is that it is a Makki surah. A Makki surah, with the exception of Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran. And there is a difference of opinion over Surah Ra'ad. So any Surah that begins with one of these letters, Noon, Qaf, Hamim, Alif Lamim, Alif Lamra, Hamim, all of them are Makki Surahs, except for Baqarah and Ali Imran. And the scholars differ over Surah Ra'ad. Some of them said it is Makki and some said it is Madani. Those are the exceptions, but generally speaking, they are Makki Surahs. Allah Azza wa takes an oath by the pen, and the scholars differ as to which pen it refers to. And some of them said it refers to the pen that wrote down all of decree, as mentioned in the hadith, that it is the first thing that Allah created and told it to write down everything. And others, such as Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that it refers to every pen, every pen, and that seems to be the position that was favored by his teacher, Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala. And Ibn Qayyim has a very nice book called At-Tibyan, Fi Ayman al-Qur'an, or Fi Aqsam al-Qur'an. And it is a book in which he speaks about all of the oaths that Allah takes in the Qur'an. And when he comes to this particular oath that Allah takes by the pen, he goes into a great detail concerning this oath. And that is because it is from the greatest blessings of Allah, if we were to reflect on this and just pause for a moment, one of the greatest blessings that Allah has given to mankind is the pen, the ability to write. How much information has been preserved and passed on and taught because of the ni'mah of the pen. Something that we don't even think about. This pen here, which is a sign and a symbol of what we are able to write and then be able to share and to spread and to pass down from generation to generation. Imagine if we could no longer write. Imagine that there was no writing that anyone could do. No one could write. And that was, there was no form of communication in which you could have books, in which you could pass down information, or in which people would be able to preserve this. But like in the old days where they used to have hieroglyphics, or they would only be able to have images. And people didn't understand what they mean or what they refer to and everyone comes with their own different opinions and so on. How difficult it would have been. One of the greatest blessings of Allah, as Ibn Qayyim mentions, is the pen and it is also one of the most neglected that we often don't think about. From going and writing a simple letter to writing a note to be able to, to write books of knowledge, everything. And that's why Ibn Qayyim Taala says that the pen that Allah takes an oath by is every pen. Starting with the pen that Allah decreed to write down everything. Then the pen of revelation, meaning the pen that writes down as we transcribe the Qur'an or copy the Qur'an and the other previous revelations that have come. The pen of knowledge, which the scholars use from the scholars of hadith and the scholars of fiqh and tafsir and so on. From the pen of doctors who write down in medicine. From every single pen, businessmen, everyone, down to the youngest child that learns how to write the alphabet. Every pen is what Allah Azza wa takes an oath by. Because it is something that we often read, Allah takes an oath by the pen. But we don't really stop and think and pause as to what it means in terms of Allah's blessings upon us. By the blessing of your Lord, you, referring to Muhammad wasallam, are not mad. Allah has blessed you with prophethood and other things. This refutes the assertion of the adulterers that he was insane. You should have a wage which never fails. Indeed, you are truly vast in character, meaning indeed. So you will see and they will see.
بِأَيِّكُمُ الْمَفْتُونَ Which of you is mad? In verse number 6 Allah says بِأَيِّكُمُ الْمَفْتُونَ Maftoon means which one of you is tried. Which one of you is tried and tested with evil meaning. Meaning on the day of judgment. So one of those tafsir is that he means mad. And the other one is misguided. To see which one of your human qiyamah will come as being misguided. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ضَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُهْتَدِينَ Your Lord knows best who is misguided away from his way, and he knows best those who are guided. فَلَا تُطِعِ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ So do not obey those who deny the truth. وَدُّوا لَهُ تُدْهِنُ فَيُدْهِنُونَ They wish that you would conciliate them and be easy with them, then they too would be conciliating. In verse number 9, Allah says, They want you to conciliate with them so that they can do so as well. Meaning you give up something and they'll give up something. As they came to Abu, Abu Talib in the time of the Prophet and they said to the uncle of the Prophet Abu Talib, tell him that he should just worship his God alone quietly and we'll leave him alone. That's one type of compromise. You compromise, we'll compromise. The other one is what is mentioned in Surah Kafirun, and we will come to it, inshallah ta'ala, tomorrow, in its tafsir, that they said, why don't we both agree to meet halfway? You worship our gods one year, and we'll worship your gods one year. And that way you're happy, and we're happy. And that way everyone knows that you know, we're all okay with everyone. You do your thing, and we'll do my thing, and we'll both share. And the Prophet clearly said no to that. And that's what Allah Azzawajal is referring to. That they wish that you would compromise with them and they then would be able to compromise with you. But do not obey any vile swearer of oaths who swears many false oaths. Any backbiter, slandermonger, <coughs> i.e. a backbiter is someone who criticizes people and a slandermonger is someone who listens to what people say in order to spread corruption among them. In verse number 11, Allah Azza wa says, Hammaz, Hammaz is often referred to as a backbiter. Masha'im bin Amin, a better translation than slandermonger, is someone who spreads rumors. Because to slander someone is to speak to them, about them, uh, to their face. And, and it is to openly say something evil about them. Backbiting is to do it and it is hidden or it is incorrect. It is not, a, not truthful. Slander is that it is truthful and that you... Uh, and that you backbiting is to say something that is truthful about someone in the absence that they would dislike to slander them is to say something which is not truthful about them masha'im bin amin and namima is to spread rumors rumors that go far and wide so when Allah says masha'im it means the one who walks with meaning spreads rumors bin amin impeder of good meaning one who is miserly with wealth and does not pay the due on it Evil aggressor. Gross, coarse, i.e., rough and rude, and furthermore, despicable. All of this is a reference to Al Walid ibn al Mughirah. Ibn Abbas anhu said, We do not know that Allah described anyone with the faults with which He described him. A shame was attached to him, which will never leave him. And Al Walid ibn al Mughirah, as we know, is one of the chieftains of Quraysh. And the meaning of the word zanim, utullim ba'da dhalika zanim. Many of the scholars of tafsir say that this refers to the coarseness of his voice. He had a certain pitch on his voice that wasn't a pleasant sound. And so Allah Azza wa refers to this in the way that he would speak because he would often criticize. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses his voice as an example of his speech. Utullim ba'da dhalika zanim. It is, they say, zanamatun fi sawtihi. It is a sound that would come from his throat, a certain type of 
sound in the way in the, the pitch of the way that he was speaking, and that that is what many of the scholars of Tafsir say that he refers to and Allah knows best. Simply because he possesses wealth and sons. When our signs, i.e. the Quran, are recited to him, he says just myths, i.e. lies of previous peoples. We will brand him on the snouts. We will put a mark on his nose, by which he will be marked as long as he lives. His nose was cut by a sword during the battle of Badr. And that is one tafsir. Sanasimu means to mark him upon his nose. But what does it mean? Does it mean that he was physically uh, injured on his nose in the battle? Or does it mean something else? Imam al-Tabri says what it means is that we will make his affair very plain and clear. So it's not necessarily a literal branding on the nose, but it is that he will be marked and his affair will be clear in the dunya and on Yawm al-Qiyamah as well when he is resurrected. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. We have tried them, meaning the people of Mecca, with droughts and hunger, as we tried the owners of the garden when they swore that they would harvest in the morning, i.e. so that the poor would not be aware of it, and they would not have to give them any of what their father used to give the poor as charity. Allah says in verse 17, Inna balawnahum, we tried them. One tafsir is as the author mentions, meaning we tried them with the drought and hunger, meaning the dua that the Prophet made upon them, that they should have the drought of the drought of Yusuf The other position and the one that is chosen by Ibn Kathir ta'ala, is that we tried them. In their rejection of the Prophet after guidance came to them. So the trial is not one of materialism or physical uh, means of provision, it is a trial of guidance that they rejected what the Prophet ﷺ came with in terms of guidance. And then Allah mentions the story of these people of the garden. And there is no authentic narration concerning who these people were and what their story was or where they came from. But it is mentioned in a number of Israelite traditions. And the story that they seem to agree upon in those traditions is that there was a man who was very generous and very giving. He had a farm. And when the day of harvest would come, he would allow the poor to enter into his farm first, take what they wished from wherever they wished. And what he had left, that is what he would go to the marketplace and sell. And his children, his three sons, would criticize him every year for doing this. How can you give the best of your wealth to these poor people? And you have nothing left and we're still poor. Because what you then end up selling isn't the best of what we have to offer. Then he dies, this man. So his three sons become his heirs. And they decide that on the year of harvest, they will leave early in the morning. Because now people are accustomed every year, the poor to come. But they will leave early from their home, go to the garden, harvest what they want, go and sell it. And then when the poor people turn up in the morning, they will say to him, sorry, this is all that's left, take what you wish. And we'll only leave them the, uh, the leftovers. That's the plan. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, once they make that firm conviction and they go to sleep upon that, because that is the action of the heart, that is the firm conviction, Allah Azza wa destroys their garden in the morning to the extent that it's not recognizable to them. And so when they eventually come back to their garden after not knowing where it was, because they didn't recognize its destruction, they come and they find and they realize that what they did was wrong and that Allah has punished them. That is the famous story that is mentioned in the works of Tafsir, but that is not an authentic hadith. And that is why Imam Al-Tabari and others, Rahimahumullah, Ibn Kathir, they don't really go through this story, but they say it is a general parable that Allah gives, irrespective of who these people were. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. وَلَا يَسْتَثْنُونَ But did not say the redeeming words, if Allah wills, 
on this war the oath. In verse 18, uh, that is a longer translation than what the verse is. Walayas tathrun, two words, meaning that they made no exception. They made no allowance, made no exception. That is the translation of the verse. They made no exception. And what we mean by exception is to say, insha'Allah. But Allah Azza wa doesn't say in the verse, they didn't say the redeeming words of insha'Allah. He says, walayas tathrun. They made no exception. So they didn't say insha'Allah, they didn't say we will go and do this insha'Allah. They didn't invoke Allah Azza wa Jal's name. فَطَافَ عَلَيْهَا طَائِفٌ مِّن رَبِّكَ وَهُمْ نَائِمُونَ So a visitation from your Lord came upon its while they slept, i.e. a fire which burned it up during the night. And verse 19, that is one tafsir. And a better tafsir than Allah knows best is that a punishment came from the heavens. What that punishment was, only Allah Azza wa knows because we have no authentic narration. فَأَصْبَحَتْ كَالصَّرِيمِ And in the morning, it was like burnt land stripped bare, meaning like night, because it was dark and blackened. فَتَنَادَوْ مُصْبِحِينَ In the morning, they called out to one another. Leave early for your land if you want to pick the fruit. So they set off, quietly, saying to one another, i.e. whispering, do not let any poor man into it today whilst you are there this explains the preceding sentences they left early intent on carrying out their scheme to deprive the poor and thought that they could achieve that but when they saw it black and burned they said we must have lost our way. In verse 26, because it is said when they came to the garden, because of its total destruction, they didn't recognize it. So they thought that they lost their way, taken a wrong turning. So they went and turned back on themselves and they come back to the same spot. And they're like, no, this can't be our garden. It doesn't look anything like it. We must have taken a wrong turning. And when they keep returning back to the same spot, because it is their garden, or what used to be their garden, they realize the error of their ways. No, the truth is we are destitute. They were deprived of its fruits because of the denying the poor some of it. The best of them said, Did I not say to you, Why do you not glorify Allah and repent and turn to Him? And Imam al Tabi in verse 28, he says the meaning of Tusabihun, Why do you not glorify, if only you had glorified your Lord, meaning if only you had said, Insha'Allah, invoked Allah's name. And some of the scholars said that the form of saying insha'Allah of that time in the sharia was to say subhanallah. Either way, it means that if only you had invoked Allah's name in one way or another. They said, glory be to our Lord. Truly, we have been wrongdoers in denying the poor their due. فَأَقَبَلَ بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ they turned to face each other in mutual accusation. They said, Woe to us, we are indeed, we were indeed inordinate. Maybe our Lord will give us something better than that in exchange. We entreat our Lord to accept our repentance and to give us something better than our garden. It is reported that they did receive something better than it. In verse 32, the alternate reading is Yubaddilana, which is the reading of Nafi and Abu Amr, amongst others. 
كذلك العذاب ولعذاب الآخرة أكبر لو كانوا يعلمون Search, i.e. the punishment of these people is the punishment that will alight on those unbelievers in Mecca and others who oppose Allah's command and the punishment of the next world is much greater than the punishment of this world if they oppose our command if they only knew this was revealed when they said if we are resurrected we will be given better than you the people who are God fearing will have gardens of delight with their Lord would we make the Muslims the same as the evildoers would they be given the same what is the matter with you on what basis do you judge that is an unsound decision or have you a revealed book which you study and read so that you may have anything in it you choose أم لكم أيمان علينا بالغة إلى يوم القيامة إن لكم لما تحكمون. Or have you firm oaths that bind us, extending, meaning lasting, to the day of rising, that you will have whatever you decide for yourselves. سلهم أيهم بذلك زعيم. Ask them which of them stands as guarantor. I.e. the word زعيم means one who guarantees a business he undertakes. For that meaning the judgment which they make for themselves that they will be given better than the believers in the next world. Or do they have divine partners who agree with them about this claim and will act as guarantors for them? Then let them produce their partners if they are telling the truth. يَوْمَ يُكْشَفُ عَنْ سَاقٍ وَيُدْعَوْنَ إِلَى السُّجُودِ فَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ Remember that on the day when legs are bared, i.e. a metaphor for the hardship of the trials of the day of rising with respect to the reckoning and repayment. Metaphorically, one says war has bared its legs when the fighting is very hard and they are called on to prostrate, meaning as a test of their faith, they will not be able to do so. When they attempt to do so, they will not be able to because their backs will become rigid. In verse number 42, on the previous page, for those of you that are following the, the book, Tafsir al-Jalalin, page 1233, in the Arabic, in the Qur'an, this is the verse that is missing. Verse 42 is missing in the Arabic. And to be honest with you, I haven't looked at the Qur'anic Arabic in this book. I've focused on the English and the translation, and I haven't looked at the Arabic Qur'an. So it is possible that there are other places where certain errors in the print have been made. I don't know. This is the first one that I noticed because I just happened to be looking at it. But I haven't checked the whole of the book. So that's just something which I wanted to bring to your attention. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Either way, verse number 42, عن ساق, On the day that Allah Azza wa will reveal his shin. Saq is the shin. And that is established authentically in the sunnah, in the hadith in which the Prophet said that Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that on the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa will expose his shin and every believing man and woman will fall into prostration when they see it. Except for those who never prostrated in this world when they attempt to do so, their back will become like a single plate, meaning that they will be unable to bend it. It will become like a single board. They will be unable to bend themselves into that place of prostration. The scholars differ as to the tafsir of this verse. Some of the scholars said that this is not a verse about the attributes of Allah. And therefore the meaning is, as the author Taala says, that it means it is a metaphor for the hardship of trials. And those scholars who follow that position, and there are some amongst the salaf who took that position, they don't deny then the attribute of Allah that is his saq. 
But what they say is that this verse doesn't refer to it, just as we said about other verses, that when Allah says we are closer to you than your jugular vein, that doesn't refer to Allah, it refers to the angels. It's just a different tafsir that is reported amongst the salaf. The second position amongst the scholars is that it is referring to Allah's saq. It refers to Allah's shin subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner which befits his majesty. And if that is the case, then clearly that is something which is affirmed for Allah Azza wa in a manner which befits his majesty. So even those scholars who say that it doesn't, the important point to know here, who say that it is a metaphor for war, don't come and then dismiss that attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa knows best. خَاشِعَةً أَبَصَارُهُمْ تَرْهَقُهُمْ ذِلَّهِ وَقَدْ كَانُوا يُدْعَوْنَ إِلَى السُّجُودِ وَهُمْ سَالِمُونَ Their eyes will be downcast, darkened by debasement, for they were called on to prostrate, i.e. in this world, but did not do so, when they were in full possession of their faculties, but they did not pray. فَذَرْنِي وَمَنْ يُكَذِّبُ بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ سَنَسْتَدْرِجُهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ So leave anyone who denies this discourse. Meaning the Quran to me, we will lead them step by step, i.e., little by little, into destruction from where they do not know. I will allow them more time. My subterfuge is, and devising is sure. Or do you ask them for a wage, for conveying the message so they are weighed down with debt by what they have to pay you so that they do not believe it? Or is the unseen in their hands, meaning the preserved tablet which contains the unseen, so they can write out what is to happen from it? So wait steadfastly for the judgment of your Lord to do what he wills with them. Do not be like the companion of the fish, meaning Yunus when he called out in absolute despair, i.e. annoyance and haste, when he called on his Lord and was filled with sorrow in the belly of the fish. In verse 48, Allah Azza wa again speaks about the Prophet Yunus alayhi salam. And this is the third description or name by which he is known in the Quran. The first is by his name Yunus alayhi salam. He's mentioned by his name in the Quran. And the second one is the one that is mentioned in Surah Al-Anbiya. And the third one is this one, Sahib al-Hut. And the Noon and Sahib al-Hut have the same meaning, meaning the companion of the fish or the well. And some of the scholars said that Hut refers to the well, and Noon is a type of fish. And fish generally, when we think about fish, are smaller in size. And some of the scholars said that the reason for that difference, and Allah knows best, is because in Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah is speaking about Yunus calling unto Allah and his greatness. So Allah describes the fish as being small, even though it is a well. But Allah describes it as being a fish because it is small when it comes to the power and greatness of Allah. Whereas in this verse, it is about how you shouldn't follow Yunus and the mistakes that he made. So Allah calls it a well to show its size and its power over him by the permission of Allah and Allah knows best. Now what the, what Allah, the Prophet is being told not to do, not to be like in respect of Yunus is to call upon Allah in anger, or in annoyance, or in haste. That is what is being referred to. And as we've seen before, Allah tells us to follow Ibrahim salam except for when he made istighfar for his disbelieving father. And this, this is a similar verse as mentioned by Shaykh Atiyah Salim Rahimahullah. Shaykh Atiyah Salim is a student of Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, Al-Shaqiti Rahimahullah Ta'ala, who then completed his tafsir of Adwa'ul Bayan. The Shaykh Rahimahullah, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, did some 28 juz, and around Surah Mujadila, he passed away, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So his student came, and he finished that tafsir. And 
he mentions himself, Atiyah in his introduction to that tafsir, that it is extremely difficult for someone to come and complete the work of another person in their methodology, with their style of writing, with that level of knowledge. It is extremely rare for someone to do it in the same way, and the exception to that is probably Tafsirul Jalaleen, which he mentions, because he apologizes for not being able to take that same type of methodology. Rahimahumullah, all of them have passed away. لَوْلَا أَن تَدَارَكَهُ نِعْمَةٌ مِّن رَبِّهِ لَنُبِذَ بِالْعَرَاءِ وَهُوَ مَذْمُومٌ Had a blessing, meaning mercy from his Lord, not overtaking him. He would have been thrown up on the naked shore, i.e. on barren land, but he was at fault. But Allah had mercy and saved him without rendering, blame, rendering him blameworthy. فَجَتَبَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَجَعَلَهُ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Instead, his Lord chose him for prophethood. And made him one of the righteous prophets. Those who disbelieve all but strike you down with their evil looks, meaning looking at you harshly with a look which nearly fills you. When they hear the reminder, i.e., the Quran, and say, meaning out of envy that he is quite mad, and because of the Quran which he bought, he is quite mad. In verse number 51, the alternate reading is لِيَزْلِقُونَكَ with the Fatha and the Ya, and that is the reading of Nafi' and Abu Ja'far. In verse 51, with their evil looks, meaning with the evil eye. That's what it means. لِيَزْلِقُونَكَ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ They will make you trip and fall with their evil eye. Not their evil looks. As the author Ta'ala, says, that they look at you harshly with the look. He doesn't say which nearly falls. He means, and what he means by that is with the evil eye. And this is one of the verses that shows that the evil eye has a reality in our religion. But if a person turns to Allah and trusts in them, in, in him subhanahu wa ta'ala, and places his tawakkul in him, and makes the adhkar, and, and, and worships Allah azza wa jal, then none of these things will harm them by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ لِلْعَالَمِينَ But it, meaning the Qur'an, is nothing less than a reminder to all the worlds, the worlds of jinn and men. It is not the result of madness. No. 69, Surah Al-Haqqa, the undeniable. This surah is Meccan and has 51 or 52 ayats. This is the 69th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Haqqa. And Al-Haqqa, we will come to, but what it means is something which is haqq, which is a reality that cannot be denied. That is the meaning of Al-Haqqa, and it is from the names of the names of Yom Al-Qiyamah. And it is a Meccan surah by Ijma'ah of the scholars of Tafsir, as mentioned by Imam Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala. And it is 52 verses according to our reading. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحاقة The undeniable It is the rising which has been denied but will prove to be true The resurrection, the reckoning and the repayment will undoubtedly come to pass الحاقة What is the undeniable? وما أدراك الحاقة What will convey to you what the undeniable is? Meaning, because it is so great. In these opening verses, Allah Azza wa begins by a different way of starting a surah. That is the first time that we've seen so far in the Quran, and it will come in other surahs, like in Surah Al-Qari'ah, Al-Qari'ah, Man-Qari'ah, Wa Madraqa Man-Qari'ah. By Allah Azza wa stating something, then asking a question, then asking the question a second time. And it is done to, number one, draw your attention to its importance, and number two, to show the magnitude of the issue that Allah is referring to. And that issue, usually, if my memory serves me right and Allah knows best, seems to be Yom Al-Qiyamah. It is used often to describe a description, to give a description of the Day of Judgment. So it is done to make you pay attention, and number two, to show the importance 
of that issue. كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودُ وَعَادٌ بِالْقَانِعَةِ Thamud and Aad denied the crushing blow, meaning the rising. It is called that because it crushes people's hearts with its terror. And we will come to that inshallah ta'ala in the tafsir of Al-Qari'ah because that is what it's referring to. And that is another description of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. فَأَمَّا ثَمُودُ فَأُهْلِكُونَ بِالطَّاغِيَةِ Thamud were destroyed by the deafening blast, i.e. a shout which was beyond measure in its intensity. وَأَمَّا عَادٌ فَأُهْلِكُونَ بِرِيحٍ صَرْصَرٍ عَاتِيَةِ Aad were destroyed by a savage howling wind. It made a loud noise. And had immense strength with which it struck. Ad, who considered themselves strong. Allah subjected them to it, meaning sent it against them with force. For seven whole nights and eight whole days without a break. The first day was the morning of Wednesday, 22nd, Shawwal, at the end of winter. It blew non-stop. It is said that the word used here, Husum, is the plural of Hasim, from Hasim, which means cutting, as one cuts for cauterization for an illness, again and again until it is finished. Tahassama. You could see the people flattened in their homes, meaning dead and prone, just like the hollow stumps of uprooted palms. And in verse number 7, the commentary of the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, about naming the day and the month, and the date isn't an authentic hadith. It's not taken from an authentic narration. And so Allah Azza wa knows best concerning that. Can you see any remnant of them left? Pharaoh and those before him and the people of the overturned cities of Lut made a great mistake. In verse number 9, the alternate reading is min qibalahu, qibalahu, which is the reading of Abu Amr, Ali and Yaqub. وَجَاءَ فِرْعَوْنُ وَمَنْ قَبْلَهُ وَالْمُؤْتَفِكَاتُ بِالْخَاطِئَةِ فَعَصَوْ رَسُولَ رَبِّهِمْ فَأَخَذَهُمْ أَخْذَةً رَابِيَةِ They disobeyed the messenger of their Lord, meaning Lord alayhi salam, and others. So he seized them in an ever-tightening grip. In this verse, Allah, the, the scholars differ as to who is the Mu'tafikat, the overturned cities. Is it referring to Lut Islam, which is one position? And Ibn Kathir said it is general to refer to every other nation that disbelieved in their prophets and their messengers. And Allah Azza wa knows best. When the waters rose, i.e., above everything, mountains and everything else in the flood, we carried you, meaning your ancestors, since you were in their loins, in the ship, meaning the ark which Noah had made, in which he and those with him were saved, while the rest were drowned. In verse number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the ark of Noah and then he says, We carried you. And as the author mentions, that is one tafsir. And the other is that because it is a favor upon you that Allah saved them, your ancestors, and you continue to benefit from the ships that they used to use. It is still a blessing for you, and that is why Allah Azza wa changes it to the first person. To make it a reminder for you, meaning by enabling the believers to survive and destroying the unbelievers, and something to be retained by retentive ears, remembered one head. So when the trumpet is blown with a single blast, i.e. the blast for the divine judgment between all creatures, which is the second blast. In verse 13, meaning the blast of resurrection when the people will rise, not the first blast when people will fall unconscious, 
But the second blast is what is being referred to where the people will be resurrected and they won't rise. وَحُمِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ وَالْجِبَالُ فَدُكَّتَا دَكَّةً وَاحِدَةً And the earth and the mountains are lifted and crushed with a single blow. فَيَوْمَئِذٍ وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةً On that day, meaning the day of rising, the occurrence will occur. وَانْشَقَّتِ السَّمَاءُ فَهِيَ يَوْمَئِذٍ وَاهِيَةً And heaven will be split apart. For that day, it will be very frail and insubstantial. وَالْمَلَكُ عَلَىٰ أَرْجَائِهَا وَيَحْمِلُ عَرْشَ رَبِّكَ فَوْقَهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ ثَمَانِيَةً The angels, meaning the singular malak used here is the generic name for angels as a whole, will be gathered round its edge, i.e. referring to the sky above them. On that day, eight angels will bear, will bear the throne of their Lord above their heads, or they will be parts of their ranks. In verse number 17, Allah Azza just speaks about the throne bearers amongst the angels and he describes them as being eight. And as you can see here, there are two different tafsirs. One is that there are eight in number, only eight. And the other is that it refers to their ranks, meaning that there are eight ranks and rows of angels. That is the two different tafsirs that the scholars have. And both may be correct and Allah Azza knows best. But it is mentioned in the hadith of Sunan Abi Dawood of Jabir radiallahu anhu that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I was given permission to describe to you one of the angels that will bear the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The distance between its earlobe and its shoulder is the distance of 700 years of riding. Which shows then the position of those scholars who say that it is eight because they are immense in their creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them because the distance of just between the earlobe and the shoulder which isn't a very far distance if we think about it for us it is the length of 700 years of riding. And Allah Azza wa knows best. يَوْمَئِذٍ تُعْرَضُونَ لَا تَخْفَى مِنْكُمْ خَافِيَةٌ On that day, you will be exposed to the reckoning, and no one can, no, no concealed act you did will stay concealed. In verse 18, the alternate reading is يَخْفَى يَخْفَى with the ya, which is the reading of Hamza Ali and Khalaf. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ فَيَقُولُ هَاءُ as for him who has given his book in his right hand, i.e. addressed to the group who will be delighted with what they receive, he will say, here, come and read my book. I counted on meeting my reckoning and was certain of it. He will have a very pleasant life in an elevated garden. It's ripe fruits i.e. the word used there, qutuf, are fruits which are plucked and gathered, hanging close to hand so that they can be plucked by someone standing, sitting or lying down. They will be told, eat and drink with relish for what you did before in days gone by in the world. In verse number 24, Allah the word hani doesn't necessarily mean relish. Hani means with contentment and peace, with no worry, no any anxiety, no any sorrow. Eat and drink comfortably with complete serenity and tranquility. But as for him who was given his book in his left hand, he will say, If only I had not been given my book. وَلَمْ أَدْرِ مَا حِسَابِيَةٌ And had not known about my reckoning. يَا لَيْتَهَا كَانَتِ الْقَاضِيَةٌ If only death had really been the end. 
or that there had been only been death in this world and its end had been the end of my existence and I had not been raised. My will has been of no use to me. My power, i.e. strength and evidence, has vanished. Seize him and trust him up. This is addressed to the guardians of hellfire. Bind his hands to his neck with fetters. Then roast him in the blazing fire. Then, then bind him with a chain, which, which is 70 cubits long. A cubit is measured by the forearm of the king. Put him in the chains after he is admitted into the fire. In verse 32, Allah says, Then bind him with a chain, which is 70 cubits, or in the Arabic language, mentioned when it's mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah, is a unit of measurement that they would have. Before they had kilometers and meters and miles and so on. And what it is, is the forearm. Adhira is the forearm. So it is a chain, the length of 70 forearms. The author says, Rahimahullah, a cubit is measured by the forearm of the king. And that is a mistranslation. Because the author doesn't say Malik, he says Malak. By the forearm of an angel. Because it makes no sense what king would they measure its form by? The meaning is that it is measured by the form of the, of the angel, as mentioned by other scholars, amongst the scholars of tafsir, meaning that this chain that will be placed around the disbelievers, its length, Allah says, is 70 cubits, 70 forearms length. Those 70 forearms, are they the forearms of us as humans? Or are they the forearms of an angel? Which are then, as we know from those descriptions that we mentioned about the angels, much, much longer. And that seems to be possible in the case because in the hadith of the Muslim Imam Ahmad, it is said, and it is an authentic hadith, the Prophet said وسلم, that a person's sitting area, meaning our, our backside, our sitting area, the person's sitting area on the day of judgment for the disbeliever will be made like the distance between Mecca and Medina. And the size of one of their teeth will be like the size of Uhud, meaning that Allah will make their body bigger, much bigger in the fire, so that it will increase their agony upon them. There is more that they will feel, because the smaller that you are, the less space there is, or the less body there is to be punished, the greater that a person is, the bigger they are, the bigger the area of punishment. And that is an authentic hadith, and only Allah knows best in terms of that. But that is why it is a position amongst the scholars of tafsir, therefore that because that person will be made bigger, Allah will chain them in a way that is much bigger. And the 70 cubits or forearms of an angel are far, far longer than the 70 of a human. But either way, the important point here on verse 32 is that you correct that mistranslation. It is the forearm of an angel, not the forearm of a king. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. <laughs> he is not to believe in Allah the Magnificent. Nor did he urge that the poor be fed. Therefore, here today he has no friend to help him. Nor any food but exuding pus. I.e., the word ghislin may be either the pus of the people of the fire or a tree in the fire. And that is a disgusting type of food. And Allah says the people of the fire in verse number 36 will only have al ghislin. But also in the Quran in Surah Al-Ghashiyah, as inshallah we will see tomorrow, Allah says, Laysa lahum ta'amun illa min Allah says that the only food that they will have is dari'ah. So how do we understand that? Allah says here is ghisneen, there it is dari'ah. 
Some of the scholars said that the way we reconcile between that is because Allah will give to different parts of them different foods. Different people in the fire will have different foods. For some of them it is only ghislin, and for others it is only dariyah. And others said no, all of them will take both. But these are not called foods. So when Allah says they will have no food except ghislin, because ghislin is not a food. The scholars say it's not even something you would give to an animal, let alone a human. So when Allah says there is no food for them, doesn't mean that it is that they don't have any food except that food. It means that what they eat is not even food. It's not even food that we would consider to be food. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Which no one will eat except those who are in error, meaning the unbelievers. I swear both by what you see, meaning the creatures you come into contact with. And what you do not see, meaning all creatures. And in verses 38 and 39, the lamb that comes in, Fala uqsimu. We mentioned this briefly before, but inshallah we will speak about it in more detail at the beginning of Surah Al-Qiyamah. That this Quran is the word of a noble messenger, i.e. a message from Allah Almighty. وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ It's not the word of a poet. How little faith you have. And this is read the alternate reading instead of تُؤْمِنُونَ is يُؤْمِنُونَ which is the reading of Ibn Kathir and Yaqub. وَلَا بِقَوْلِ كَاهِنٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Nor the word of a fortune teller. How little heed you pay. The meaning is that they believe in and remember few of the things which the Prophet brought them about goodness maintaining ties of kinship and chastity, and so it will not help them at all. And again, the alternate reading is يَذَكَّرُونَ which is again the reading of Ibn Kathir and Yaqub amongst others. تَنْزِيلٌ مِّن رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ It is a revelation from the Lord of all the worlds. وَلَوْ تَقَوَّلَ عَلَيْنَا بَعْضَ الْأَقَاوِيلِ If he, meaning the Prophet وسلم, had made up any sayings and ascribed them to us by saying that we said something we did not say, لَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُ بِالْيَمِينَ We would have seized him by force, meaning inflicted on him a punishment with strength and power. In verse number 45, the meaning is we would have seized him by our right hand. بِالْيَمِينَ And yameen means with power and with force because usually the right hand is stronger than the left hand for most people. That is their dominant hand. And that is what is being referred to in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal are described as being right because they are full of blessing. And so Allah Azza wa says that we would punish them in that way. We would have punished him in that way. And then we would have cut off his life bud, i.e. the vein to the heart. When it is cut, a person dies. And not one of you could have protected him. The linguistic form used there stresses the fact no one could have protected the Prophet وسلم, from our punishments. وَإِنَّهُ لَتَذْكِرَةٌ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It, meaning the Qur'an, is a reminder to the people who are God-fearing. وَإِنَّا لَنَعْلَمُ أَنَّ مِنْكُمْ مُكَذِّبِينَ We know that some of you, i.e. mankind, will deny it, mean it, meaning the Qur'an, and some affirm it. وَإِنَّهُ لَحَسْرَةٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ It, meaning the Qur'an, is a, source, is, sorry, is a cause of great distress to the unbelievers, i.e. when they see the reward, of those who affirmed it and, upon, and the punishment of those who denied it. And it, meaning the Quran, is undeniably the absolute truth of certainty. Glorify then the name of your Lord, the Magnificent. Dissociate him from creation. In verse number 
52. Allah says, And in the hadith, the Prophet said, when this verse was revealed, that this is what you should say in your rukur. Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. It comes from this verse. And the first verse of Surah Al-A'la, Al-A'la, make that in your sajda. And that is why we say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. So it is taken from these two verses. Yeah. 70. Surah Al-Ma'arij. The ascending steps. This surah is Meccan and has 44 ayats. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the 70th surah of the Quran and that is Surah Al-Ma'arij. Surah Al-Ma'arij. And Ma'arij means ascending, to ascend. In, and it is a Makki surah, according to the majority of the scholars, or all of the scholars of Tafsir, as Ibn Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala says. And from the names that this surah is known by in the early books of Tafsir and Hadith, is Surah Sa'ala Sa'il. After the first verse, Surah Sa'ala Sa'il, and you often find it in the books of Hadith and Tafsir being referred to as thus. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. سأل سائل بعذاب واقع. An inquirer asked, i.e., a caller called out about an impending punishment. Impending. Impending punishment. للكافرين ليس له دافع. It's for the unbelievers and cannot be averted. I.e., the one who asked was another Ibn al Harith. He said, Oh Allah, if this is the truth. And that is one tafsir, that the person that is being referred to is an individual that we know by the name of another Ibn al-Harith, who was one of the chieftains of Quraysh. Another scholar such as Imam al-Tabari said, we don't know, so we leave it generic, meaning that you were asked by one of the kuffar, one of the disbelievers. Who that person was, Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Min ma'arij. From Allah, the Lord of the ascending steps, by which the angels go up, meaning the heavens. تَعْرُجُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالرُّوحُ إِلَيْهِ فِي يَوْمٍ كَانَ مِقَدَارُهُ خَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةٌ The angels and the spirits, i.e. Jibreel a.s. ascend to him, meaning when his command descends from heaven, in a day whose length is 50,000 years. This is the day when the punishment occurs. In other words, the day of resurrection. For an unbeliever, it will seem like that because of the hardships he will encounter on it. For a believer, it will seem less than the time it takes to pray a prescribed prayer. As has been reported in hadith. In verse number 4, the alternate reading of Ta'ruju is Ya'ruju. And that is the recitation of Al-Kisai. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ta'ruju al-Mala'ikatu wal-Ruhu The angels and the spirit ascend to him. And then the author says, when his command descends from the heavens. And that is again Ta'weel. That he says that what they are ascending and descending from is not Allah, but the command of Allah. And if the command of Allah is above the heavens, then so is Allah Azza wa Jal. But that is Ta'weel. But what it means is that they descend and ascend to Allah who is above the heavens in a manner which befits his majesty. And this verse is used by the scholars of Islam such as the Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah in his book Al-Ulu and by the, uh, the, 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 the ulama that explained the aqidah of Imam al-Tahawi al-Tahawiyya to show one of the evidences that establishes that Allah is above his thrones because you only ascend and descend from someone who is above you. You don't ascend and descend from someone who is next to you. Someone who is at the same level plane as you. You ascend and descend from someone who is above you. And that is the proof then that Allah Azza wa is above the heavens. Therefore, be patient with the patience that is beautiful. This was before the command to fight. This is patience without anxiety. They see it as something distant i.e. they think that the punishment will not occur. But we see it as very close, meaning, and that it must come to pass. 
On the day this guy is like molten brass. And as we said before, al-muhl is like the dirty or like a reddish type of oil. The reddish type of oil that is boiled and then it has a reddish tint to it. That is what is being referred to and Allah Azza wa knows best. And the mountains are like tufts of colored wool because of the lightness and being blown about by the wind. Uh, and that's what is mentioned also in Surah Al-Qariha in verse number 9. And they say that it is colored wool because that's what some of the scholars said that Al-Ihn refers to. It refers to the different colors of wool that you get. Why does Allah call it colored wool when he's referring to mountains? Because mountains are of different colors. You get mountains that are white and mountains that are black in terms of their rocks and mountains that are red and mountains that are deserty and sandy in their color. And so therefore because of the different colors, Allah describes the wool as being possessing different colors and Allah knows best. No good friend will ask about his friend. I.e. because he will be too busy with his own state. Even though they, meaning close friends, can see each other, they will recognize but not speak to one another. An evildoer, meaning unbeliever, will wish he could ransom himself from the punishment of that day by means of his sons. And the alternate reading is يَوْمَئِذٍ with the Fatha and the Meme, and that is the reading of Nafi Ali and Abu Ja'far. And these are verses that Allah Azza wa will mention again in Surah Abasa and how that person, a person on that day because of its terror on Yawm Al-Qiyamah would sacrifice the most valuable and precious things to themselves in order to save themselves from the punishment of Allah Azza wa in the fire. They would be more than willing and happy to sacrifice their own children and their own parents and their wife or their husband and the most dearest of things to them because that is how grave the situation will be on that day. May Allah Azza wa save us. وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَأَخِيهِ Or his wife or his brother. وَفَصِيلَتِهِ الَّتِي تُؤْوِيهِ Or his family who sheltered him. وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا ثُمَّ يُنْجِيهِ Or everyone else on earth. If that only meant that he could save himself, he would offer all that as a ransom. As Allah mentions elsewhere in the Qur'an, that it will be said to the disbeliever that if you had everything in the world, its people, its treasures, its oceans, its mountains, its trees, everything that Allah has created in the universe, and you could give that all as ransom to save yourself from the fire, would you do so? And that disbeliever will say, yes, oh Allah, I would do so. I would give it all up to save myself from the fire. And Allah will say, I asked you for far less than that. I only asked you to worship me alone. I asked you for something far less than all of this. To worship me alone, and you refused. But no, it is a raging blaze. It is a rage. It is a raging blaze which burns the unbelievers. Stripping away the limbs and skull. In verse 16, Allah Azza wa Jal says, and The word shawa has two meanings amongst the scholars of tafsir. One is that it refers to limbs, and the other, the skull. And Imam al-Tabari therefore joined between the two and combined between them and that is what the translator has chosen to do. And that is a good tafsir, to combine between them. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Which calls for all who grew back and turned away, i.e. from faith. It will call to me, to me. And amassed wealth and hoarded up, meaning kept it without paying what was due to Allah on it. Truly, man was created headstrong. The word halur in the Arabic language in verse 19 doesn't mean headstrong. 
the position of the scholars of tafsir, if you look at the tafsir, shows that uh, the word halu' means someone who is always constantly unsure of themselves, in between two minds, weak in that regard, constantly eager to get benefit and constantly wary of receiving harm. So the word halu' in al insana khuliqa halu'a, mankind was created constantly as being unsure. Constantly as being unsure. As Allah Azza wa Jalla now mentioned what it means. When something bad comes to them, they get upset. And when something good comes to them, they are extremely happy. And that is because of that fluctuating state that they are in of being unsure of themselves. Desperate when bad things happen. Begrudging when good things come. I.e. when Allah gives him wealth, he does not give it to people. Except for those who pray, meaning the believers. And are constant in it. Those in whose wealth there is a known share, meaning zakat. For beggars and the destitute, i.e. those who refrain from asking and so are deprived of their needs. Those who affirm the day of judgment and repayment. Those who are fearful of the punishment of their Lord. No one is safe from the punishment of his Lord. Those who guard their private parts. Except from their wives and any slaves they own, in which case they incur no blame. But if anyone desires any more than that, they have overstepped the limits of the halal and the haram. Those who honor their trusts with respect to the deen and this world and contracts which they made. And the alternate reading of verse 32 is amanatihim in the singular rather than the plural, which is the recitation of Ibn Kathir. Those who stand by their testimony, i.e., do not conceal it. And again, the reading in the singular of shahadatihim, which is the alternate reading, is the reading of the majority. The plural is only read by Hafs and Yaqub. Those who safeguard their prayer, meaning perform their prayers at the proper times. And in verse 34, pray their prayers at their proper time and preserve it in terms of its pillars and its obligatory parts and in terms of the method of how they pray. And this uh, example has proceeded in Surah Al-Mu'minun. But Allah Azza wa mentions prayer twice. One in terms of its preservation and one in terms of its obligations. So one is to do with the internal state, the heart, and that is the one that is mentioned first in terms of your khushur and your attentiveness. And the second is in terms of the physical aspects of the prayer, in terms of its timing, in terms of its pillars, in terms of its obligations. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Such people will be in gardens, highly honored. What is the matter with those who disbelieve? They run about in front of you, i.e. towards you, without stretched necks and staring eyes. On the right and on the left in scattered groups, they used to say mockery to the believers, if those people enter the garden, we will enter it before them.
أيطمع كل امرئ منهم أن يدخل جنة نعيم Does each one of them aspire to be admitted into a garden of delight? This is an answer to what they used to say in mockery. Kalla inna khanaqnahum mimma ya'lamun Certainly not, meaning refuting their desire to enter the garden. We created them and others from what they full know well, from what they know full well, i.e. from sperm. One cannot aspire to the garden through that, i.e. only through being God-fearing. فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِرَبِّ الْمَشَارِقِ وَالْمَغَارِبِ إِنَّا لَقَادِرُونَ No, I swear by the Lord of the East and West, i.e. this is an oath by the Sun, Moon and all the stars, that we have the power. And as you can see in verse 40, sometimes the translator when it comes to this type of oath in the Qur'an where there is a lamb in front of it, which normally means no, sometimes he affirms it in the translation and sometimes he doesn't. And it's important to have a consistent methodology. Either you mention it all the time, or you don't mention it all the time. But to have it sometimes and don't have it sometimes makes confusion for the reader because they don't understand then the position of the lamb. Is it there? Is it not there? What does it refer to? And we will speak about this, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to Surah Al-Qiyamah. To replace them with something better than them, meaning put others in their place. We will not be outstripped. We do not lack the power to do that. So leave them to plunge and play around, i.e. in their falsehood and vanity in this world, until they meet their day and their punishment which they are promised. The day they will emerge swiftly from their graves for the gathering, as if rushing to rally to the flag i.e. something set up as a marker or a banner. And this, oh, the alternate reading of verse number uh, 43 is Nusb with the Fatha with uh, and a Sukun on the Saad. And the author, or the translator rather, and even the author, Ta'ala, he says that the word Nusubi Yufidun as if they are rushing towards something like a flag. And that is the position chosen by Imam Al-Tabri that the way that they will rush when they are called is as if they are running to something, a marker of some sort. doesn't necessarily literally mean that there will be a flag or a marker that Allah will place for them. It just shows how they will travel in a direction in a very, in a very uh, measured, or not measured, but in a very organized way in the sense that they're all running in that one direction. As if there is something that they're all running towards. And what they are running towards is the call that Allah Azza wa will place upon them that will call them to come towards their counting. Eyes downcast, meaning abased, darkened by debasement. That will be the day which they were promised. This is what happens on the day of rising. 71. Surat Nuh Noah. This surah is Meccan and has 28 or 29 ayats. This is the 71st surah of the Quran. And it is named after the Prophet Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam. And there is 28 verses according to our reading of the Mus'haf. And it is a Makki surah as you can see. And that is by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by Al-Qurtub ibn Atiyah alayhi ma rahmatullahi ta'ala. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ أَنْ أَنْذِرْ قَوْمَكَ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ We sent Nuh to his people. Warn your people to believe before a painful punishment comes to them in this world and next. 
He said, My people, I am a clear warning to you, making the warning clear to you. In verses 1 and 2, Allah says that the Prophet Nuh and Allah in this surah dedicates it all to the Prophet Nuh and his story. And we've had elsewhere in the Quran that Allah says that the Prophet Nuh called his people for 950 years. What did he do for that 950 years? What was the methodology of his da'wah and how did he call them? This is what Allah will refer to in great detail in this surah. Verses 1 and 2, he says, Allah says that he warned them. What did he warn them from? The majority of the scholars are of the opinion that he warned them against the punishment of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. That is the warning. But Imam Al-Tabari chose that the warning is about the flood. He warned them that if they don't believe, Allah would send a flood upon them and they would drown. Him. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. I tell you to worship Allah, be fearful of Him and obey me. He will forgive you your wrong actions, i.e. because Islam forgives what is before it, or it is a partial forgiving, because the rights of people are excluded from this forgiveness and defer you without punishment until a specified time, meaning the time of your death. When Allah's time comes to punish you for not believing it cannot be deferred. If you only knew it, so believe. He said, My Lord, I have called my people night and day, constantly, without stopping. But my calling has only made them more evasive of faith. Indeed, every time I call them to your forgiveness, they put their fingers in their ears so that they would not hear my words, wrap themselves up in their cloaks, in their clothes, i.e. wrap their clothes round their heads so that they would not see me and were overweeningly arrogant. They persisted in their unbelief and were too arrogant to believe. Then I called them openly in my loudest, in my loudest voice. Then I addressed them publicly and addressed them, addressed them privately. I said, ask forgiveness of your Lord for shirk. Truly, he is endlessly forgiving. He will send heaven down on you in abundant rain, i.e. they had not had rain for some time, and he told them that it would come down in quantity. And reinforce you with more wealth and sons and grant you gardens and grant you waterways. And as we can see then from this opening passage of Surah Nuh, Allah Azza wa tells us the extent and the level to which Nuh went in calling his people day and night, in secret and in open, individually and in groups. For 950 years he carried on each and every single day, not taking a break, not taking a day off, not having holidays or vacations. Every day he was calling his people, just as every Prophet did, that was sent to their nations and as our Prophet did, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Never had a day off, every day teaching and calling people and calling them to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is the way of 
the students of knowledge are those people who then take from the inheritance of the prophets that they study every day and they learn every day and they benefit themselves every day because that is the methodology that they have chosen to follow and the inheritance that they have chosen to take from and that's why it's reported from the scholars of the past that even on their deathbeds they would be seeking knowledge even on their deathbeds they would be seeking knowledge and they would be learning and they would be studying Al-Imam Abu Zur'ah Al-Razi Rahimahullah Ta'ala the great illustrious scholar of Hadith the one who when uh, Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah when he would visit Imam Ahmad Imam Ahmad's son would say that I never saw my father leaving off Qiyamul Layl or leaving off the Sunnah prayers but when Abu Zur'ah would come and visit he would leave them so I said, oh my father, why do you leave them for him and you never leave them? He said, because to study with Abu Zura is more beneficial. Abu Zura, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he was on his deathbed, and he was surrounded by his close friend and companion Abu, ha- Abu, Abu Hatim, Ar-Razi, and others, they were too embarrassed to say to him, say, la ilaha illallah, because of his station and his knowledge, they were felt embarrassed. So instead they said to one another, let us revise hadith amongst ourselves, and he's listening on his deathbed. Let us revise the hadith, of the one who says La ilaha illallah at the time of death. So as they started to say it, he interrupted them and he started to mention it with his chain of narration. I heard from so and so, from so and so. Then the Prophet said, whoever's last statement from the dunya is La ilaha illallah, and then he passed away without even completing the hadith. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And that's why the scholars, even at the time of their deathbed, if they heard something, they would ask for a pen and paper so that they could write it down and people would say to them, you're passing away. They would say no. Until we die, we continue to learn and to seek knowledge. Because that is the methodology of the Prophet. And that is what Allah Azza wa praises Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam for. And his call is a simple one. Turn to Allah and make istighfar. If you do so, Allah will provide for you in ways and means that you cannot imagine. Send down upon you rain. Give you children. Give you wealth. Give you gardens. Give you rivers. All from turning to Allah Azza wa and making istighfar of him subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَا لَكُمْ لَا تَرْجُونَ لِلَّهِ وَقَارًا What is the matter with you? That you do not hope for honor from Allah. I.e. why do you not expect that Allah will give you esteem if you believe? وَقَدْ خَلَقَكُمْ أَطَوَارًا When He created you by successive stages, He created you as a drop of sperm, then a blood clot, and then completed the creation of the human being. Examining the creative process of the human being obliges a person to believe in his creator. أَلَمْ تَرَوْ كَيْفَ خَلَقَ اللَّهُ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتٍ طِبَاقًا Do you not see how he created seven heavens in layers, meaning one on top of the other? وَجَعَلَ الْقَمَرَ فِيهِنَّ نُورًا وَجَعَلَ الشَّمْسَ سِرَاجًا And placed the moon as a light in all of them, i.e. or possibly only in the nearest heaven, and made the sun a blazing lamp, meaning whose light is stronger than the moon. وَاللَّهُ أَنْبَتَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ نَبَاتًا Allah caused you to grow from the earth when He created your father Adam alayhi salam from it. ثُمَّ يُعِيدُكُمْ فِيهَا وَيُخْرِجُكُمْ مِخْرَاجًا Then will return you to it, meaning to graze in it, and bring you out again at the resurrection. لِتَسْلُقُ اللَّهُ جَعَلَ لَكُمُ الْأَرْضَ بِسَاطًا Allah has spread the earth out as a carpet for you. So that you may use its wide valleys as roadways. Nuh said, My Lord, they have disobeyed me, and the foolish and poor have followed those whose wealth and children have only increased them in loss, i.e., in other words, 
transgression and unbelief. And the alternate reading of verse 21 is Wuldahu, Wuldahu, which is the reading of Ibn Kathir and Hamza and Ali and, and others. They, meaning the leaders, have hatched a mighty plot by denying Nuh and inflicting harm on him and those who followed him. And in verse 22, the scholars differ as to what is the mighty plot that they were planning. Is it just generally that they were trying to take, turn people away from the Tawheed of Allah, from the message of Nuh or does it mean that they were actually plotting and planning to kill him and to murder him? And that is possible because in one of the other surahs in the Quran, they said, Ya Nuhu marujumin. If you don't stop this, O Nuh, you will be stoned. And we said that some of the scholars said that stoning means verbal stoning, by words and cursing and swearing. And others said, it is a literal stoning. So it is possible that that is what is being referred to here, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ وَدًّا وَلَا سُوَاعًا وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوقَ وَنَسْرًا Saying to the foolish, do not abandon your gods, do not abandon wad, or suwa, or yaghuth, or yaruq, or nasr. These are the names of idols they had. And the alternate reading is Wudda instead of Wadda, which is the reading of Nafi and Abu Ja'far. And these are the names of the five idols as mentioned in the hadith of Al-Bukhari of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhumah. That these were the five righteous men that used to live before the time of Nuh That when they died, Shaitan came and said, these were righteous people. Why don't you make idols in their memory so when you see them, you are inspired to be righteous like they were righteous. So these were good people that they made into idols. And the initial beginning of shirk is not that you worship them, but that you remember them, that you honor them. And that is why our religion is so strict about pictures and statues and idols and drawing the faces and living creatures and so on because it was a means for people to go towards shirk and those people never imagined that their descendants would be people of shirk but after a while when people forgot the purpose of those idols shaitan came to them again and said they were there because they were gods that deserved to be worshipped and so people began to worship them besides Allah and that is when Nuh was sent وَقَدْ أَضَلُّوا كَثِيرًا وَلَا تَزِدِ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا ضَلَالًا they have misguided many people by commanding them to worship their idols. Do not increase the wrongdoers in anything but misguidance. This was added to supplication against them when it was revealed to him. None of your people are going to believe except for those who have believed already. Because of their errors, they were drowned in the flood and put into the fire, i.e. punished with the fire, after being drowned under the water, they found no one to help them against the punishment besides Allah. In verse 25, the alternate reading is خطاياهم, خطيئاتهم and خطاياهم, which is the reading of Abu Amr. وَقَالَ نُوحُ الرَّبِّ لَا تَذَرْ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ دَيَّارًا Nuh said, My Lord, do not leave a single one of the unbelievers on earth. If you leave That any, is the next verse now. That is the mistake in the translation. If you leave, that is the next verse. So this is verse 26, and the next verse is verse 27. إِنَّكَ إِن تَذَرْهُمْ يُضِلُّوا عِبَادَكَ وَلَا يَلِدُوا إِلَّا فَاجِرًا كَفَّارًا If you leave any, they will misguide your slaves and spawn nothing but more dissolute unbelievers. They will only beget dissolute people who disbelieve. This was in accordance with the revelation with which Allah had inspired him. And verses 26 and 27 is why the majority of the scholars are of the opinion that when the flood came, it encompassed all of the earth. Do not leave even a household from amongst the disbelievers, as mentioned by Shah Rahimahullah and others. And that is the position, therefore, that the scholars had because of this dua and what it means, and Allah knows best.
My Lord, forgive me and my parents, i.e. who are believers, and all who enter my house, meaning or places of worship, as believers, and all the men and women of the believers, until the day of rising. Do not increase the wrongdoers, except in ruin, only destroy the unbelievers. And this dua of Nuh said that his parents were believers and that is possible because maybe they lived before the shirk became prevalent in that time of Nuh and Allah knows best. Who, who entered into my house or some of the scholars said my masjid, my place of worship. But the house refers to a normal house as chosen by Imam al-Tabari and the majority of the scholars of tafsir. That, that is a stronger tafsir and Allah knows best. 72. Surah al-Jinn, the Jinn. This surah is Meccan and has 28 ayats. So this is the 72nd surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Jinn, named after the jinn. And as we know, Allah Azza wa Jal has placed upon the jinn the same laws that he has placed upon us in terms of tawheed and in terms of following the sharia of the Prophet And as we mentioned before, and this surah is one surah which proves that, that Allah Azza wa Jal never sent a prophet from the jinn, but only from humans. But the jinn were commanded to follow the prophets that Allah Azza wa Jal sent and the messengers that were from the humans. And so this is a surah that speaks about the jinn and what they heard of the recitation revelation and then what they said in terms of their discourse. And it is a Meccan surah according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by Al-Qurtubi rahimahullahu ta'ala. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Qul uhiya ilayya annahu istama'a nafarun minal jinni faqalu inna sami'na qur'anan ajaba. Say, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, people. It has been revealed to me from Allah that a band of the jinn of Nisibis listened to my recitation in the Subh prayer at Batan Nakhal, a place between Mecca and Taif. They are the ones who mentioned in the words of Allah, and we diverted a group of jinn towards you to listen to the Quran, and said when they returned to their people, We have heard a most amazing recitation, meaning in respect of its eloquence and its abundant meanings, and any other ways. And this is. And this is in the first verse of Surah Al-Jinn, the hadith in the narration that we mentioned of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu when the Prophet was sent, the jinn were unable to take the news of the heavens. And at the end of Surah Al-Qaf, we mentioned this story. And then they came and they found the Prophet reciting the Quran and they began to listen to him. And some of them turned back as Muslims calling their people to Allah. And it was reported authentically that the Prophet on a number of occasions met with the jinn. And that's why the scholars, some of them differ as to whether this surah encompasses all of that or only this first incident. And Allah knows best. But from what is also established in the sunnah is the hadith of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu sahih Muslim. That one night the companions were unable to find the Prophet so they feared the worst. So they began to search for him and then they found him coming. And they said, O Messenger of Allah, where did you go? He said, the caller of the jinn came to me and asked me to come to, with him so that I may go and speak to his people. So I went. And that is the hadith where we get then that when you eat, say Bismillah, and when you leave the bones, they eat from that meat. If you say Bismillah, Allah replenishes for and so on. Those, that hadith is the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. So it is established in the sunnah on a number of occasions. And one of those occasions is when the Prophet was with, I believe it was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. And he drew a circle for him and told him not to leave from that place. 
irrespective of what sounds he hears or anything else. And that is because the jinn then came and sat with the Prophet. So today if you go to Mecca, there is a famous landmark, a masjid that is called Masjid al-Jinn. Where it is said that that is the place that took place and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. The point is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this and affirms this in the Quran in a number of places. In this surah, we will see what they return to their people with and what they think. What is the iman of these believing jinn and what they say. يَهْدِي إِلَى الرُّشْدِ فَآمَنَّا بِهِ وَلَنْ نُشْرِكَ بِرَبِّنَا أَحَدًا It leads to right guidance, i.e. faith and correct action. So we believe in it and we will not associate anyone with our Lord after today. وَأَنَّهُ تَعَالَى جَدُّ رَبِّنَا مَتَّقَدَ صَاحِبَةً وَلَا وَلَدًا He, exalted be the majesty of our Lord, has neither wife nor son. His majesty is far above such assertions. وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقُولُ سَفِيهُنَا عَلَى اللَّهِ شَطَطًا The ignorant fools amongst, among us have uttered a vile slander against Allah in describing Allah as having a wife and child. As you can see in Surah Al-Jinn, many of the verses will begin with anna with a fatha on the alif. And the alternate reading, which isn't mentioned here in the translation, but mentioned by the author, is with a kasra, inna. And anna means that it is a continuation of the same speech. And inna is that every sentence is independent. Inna, inna. And so both of them have a similar meaning, but that slight nuance between them. In verse number four, the ignorant fool amongst us. Safi, huna. Safi is a, is a singular. And so some of the scholars said that that refers to Iblis. The fool amongst us that called us away from Allah, meaning Iblis, as chosen by Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah. And others said, no, it is general. Every one of their... Uh, the jinn amongst them who called away from the path of Allah is described as being foolish and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best We did not think it was possible for either man or jinn to say something like that and to tell a lie against Allah In verse 5 the scholars have a lengthy discussion on this just the power of this verse that these jinn are saying that we never thought it would be possible that a human or a jinn would ever lie about Allah. It never occurred to us that someone would ascribe lies about Allah. And so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is someone, that Allah azza wa jal is being lied about. This is what the jinn are saying. We never thought that it was possible. Which shows to you and to me the importance of ascribing to only Allah azza wa jal, to Allah azza wa jal what is befitting of him. And that is why the scholars of old used to have a great deal of trepidation when it came to making tafsir of the Qur'an. Because when you make tafsir of the Qur'an, you are ascribing to Allah Azza wa Jal what his words mean and what he intends by them, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why it is a great responsibility and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ رِجَالٌ مِّنَ الْإِنسِ يَعُوذُونَ بِرِجَالٍ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ فَزَادُوهُمْ رَهَقًا Certain men from among mankind used to seek refuge with certain men from among the jinn when they camped on their journeys in dangerous places. Each man would say, I seek refuge with the master of this place from the evil of its foolish ones. But they increased them this but they increased them by this, seeking refuge in wickedness, so that they said, We are the masters of the jinn and human beings. In verse number six, Allah says that they did evil. The people of the jinn, of the humans used to seek refuge in the jinn. As they would say in the times of Jahiliyyah, as the author Ta'ala mentions, Fazaduhum. So they increased them. Who is them? Is it the humans that increase the jinn in evil or the jinn who increase the humans in evil? And both are positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. 
and therefore we can combine between the two. That the humans by turning to the jinn in worship and seeking protection increase the jinn in their arrogance. And the jinn by helping the humans at times increase the humans in terms of their ignorance and misguidance as well. وَأَنَّهُمْ ظَنُّوا كَمَا ظَنَنْتُمْ اللَّهُ أَحَدًا They, meaning the jinn, thought, as you human beings also think, that Allah would never raise up anyone after death. The jinn said, we tried as usual to travel to heaven, to eavesdrop in search of news, but found it filled with fierce guards from the angels and burning meteors. That happened when the Prophet ﷺ began his mission. وَأَنَّا كُنَّا نَقْعُدُ مِنْهَا مَقَاعِدَ لِلسَّمْعِ فَمَنْ يَسْتَمِعِ الْآنَ يَجِدَ لَهُ شِهَابًا رَصَدًا We used to sit there on special seats to listen in before he was sent. But anyone listening now finds a fiery meteor in wait for, in wait for him, i.e. which is thrown at him. وَأَنَّا لَا نَدْرِي أَشَرٌ أُرِيدَ بِمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَمْ أَرَادَ بِهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ رَشَدًا we have no idea, meaning after eavesdropping, whether evil is intendedly, whether evil is intended for those on earth, or whether their Lord intends them to be rightly guided. Among us, there are some who, after listening to the Quran, are righteous, and some who, are other than that, we follow many different paths. We are in different groups. Muslims and unbelievers. In verse number 11, Kunna Tara'iqa Qidada, that has been translated as we follow many different paths. This is the correct meaning of that is what the author says, has mentioned about Tabir and Nuqim and others. Tara'iqa Qidada meaning we are different groups. Not that we follow, and you follow different paths is probably the same thing as well, but it refers to their groups that amongst them are Muslims and non Muslims. And amongst the Muslims are those that are righteous and not righteous, just as amongst the humans, they are the same. وَأَنَّا ظَنَنَّا أَلَّن نُعْجِزَ اللَّهَ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَن نُعْجِزَهُ هَرَبًا We realized we would never thwart Allah on earth and would never thwart Him by flight, meaning we cannot escape Him, whether we remain on earth or flee from it to the heavens. وَأَنَّا لَمَّا سَمِعْنَا الْهُدَى آمَنَّا بِهِ فَمَنْ يُؤْمِنْ بِرَبِّهِ فَلَا يَخَافُ مَخْسًا وَلَا رَهَقًا and when we heard the guidance, i.e. the Qur'an, we believed in it. Anyone who believes in his Lord need fear neither, neither belittlement, i.e. reduction of his good deeds, nor tyranny, meaning injustice, by having his evil deeds increased. Some of us are Muslims, and some are deviators, i.e. by disbelieving. Those who have become Muslim are those who sought right guidance. The deviators will be firewood and fuel fell fire. Allah says about the unbelievers of Mecca, if only they were to go straight on the path of Islam, Islam we would give them abundant water to drink, meaning rain from heaven. That was after rain was withheld for seven years. So that we could test them by it, to see how thankful they would be publicly. Whoever turns aside from the remembrance of his Lord, i.e. the Qur'an, 
he will introduce him to an arduous punishment. In verse number uh, 17, the alternate reading that is given is a misprint or an error from the translator. The alternate reading is not in the word nurid or yurid. Uh, the alternate reading is in the word yaslukhu and naslukhu. That is the alternate reading. There is no, there is not even a yurid or nurid in the in the verse itself. And so I think that that is a misprint or an error in translation. It is yaslukhu and naslukhu. وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا All mosques belong to Allah, so do not call on anyone else besides Allah. When in them, do not associate anyone else with Him, as the Jews and the Christians do when they enter their synagogues and churches. وَأَنَّهُ لَمَّا قَامَ عَبَدُ اللَّهِ يَدْعُوهُ كَادُوا يَكُونُونَ عَلَيْهِ لِبَدًا When the slave of Allah, i.e. Muhammad wasallam stands calling on him, i.e. worshipping him in Batan Nakhal. They, meaning the jinn, listen to his recitation, almost warm, all over him, pressed together against one another, almost like matted felt in the eagerness to hear the Qur'an. The alternate reading in verse number 19 is Lubada, which is the reading of Hisham. This verse, verse number 19, the scholars differ as to what it means that they almost swarmed over him as they heard his recitation. And there are three opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir. The first of them is what is mentioned here by the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, and that is the position of Ibn Abbas in one of his narrations, radiallahu anhuma. Now because of the eagerness of wanting to hear the Qur'an and their amazement by it, they kept coming closer and closer as if they were going to swarm over him. That is how eager they were into in hearing the recitation of the Qur'an. The second position is also one that is narrated by Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, and chosen by Sa'id ibn Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala, because it is said that this was a time when, as in the narration of Ibn Abbas, that the Prophet was praying Fajr with the companions. So not only are they listening to his recitation, but they're watching the prayer. So what it means is that they were amazed by the way that when the Prophet ﷺ prays, how the companions follow him. He goes into Rukur, they go into Rukur. He goes up, he, they go up. He goes into Sajda, they go into Sajda. That's what it means. They were amazed as by the way that they were swarming him, meaning that they were following him in their actions. And the third opinion, the one that is chosen by Imam al-Tabari and al-Hasan al-Basri and others, is that it's referring to the Kuffar of the Quraysh. That when he stood and called to Allah, then they nearly swarmed over him in terms of beating him and punishing him. And that is what they were referring to. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَدْعُوا رَبِّي وَلَا أُشْرِكُ بِهِ أَحَدًا He said, i.e. also read a say, to answer the unbelievers when they said, Retract what you are saying. I call only upon my Lord, and do not associate anyone else as another God with him. In verse 20, because we say قُلْ That's our recitation. But the other recitation is قَالَ He said and that is the one that has been chosen by the authors, rahimahullah, because that is the recitation that they use. قُلْ إِنِّي لَا أَمْلِكُ لَكُمْ وَلَا رَشَدًا Say, I possess no power to do you harm, meaning make you err, or to guide you right, and so do you good. قُلْ إِنِّي لَنْ يُجِيرَنِي مِنَ اللَّهِ أَحَدٌ وَلَنْ أَجِدَ مِنْ دُونِهِ مُلْتَحَدًا Say, no one can protect me from the punishment of Allah, and I will never find any refuge apart from him, except in him. Only in transmitting from Allah and his messages, I can only convey the message of Allah to you from him. This stresses his inability to do more. As for him, he disobeys Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, i.e. disbelieves in his unity 
and does not believe, he will have the fire of hell remaining in it timelessly forever and ever. So that if they continue in their unbelief until when they see what they were promised of the punishment, they will know who has less support, meaning few helpers, and smaller numbers, they or the believers, according to one view, or I or them, according to another. This refers to when that happened on, at the Battle of Badr, or to what will happen on the Day of Rising. One of them asked, when will this promise come to pass? And the next ayat was then revealed. Say, I do not know whether what you are promised by way of punishment is close or whether my Lord will appoint a longer time for it. Only Allah knows its time. He is the knower of the unseen, meaning he knows what his creatures do not see and does not divulge his unseen to anyone. The exception to this follows in the next ayah. Except a messenger with whom he is well pleased, i.e. Allah, acquaints his messenger وسلم, with any of the unseen he wishes as a miracle for him. Then he posts sentinels, i.e. angels, before him and behind him, meaning to protect him until the revelation is conveyed. So that he may know, i.e. without knowledge, that they, the messengers, have indeed transmitted the messages, the messages of their Lord. He knows and encompasses what is in their hands and has counted accurately the exact number of each and everything. 73. Surat Al-Muzammil, Enwrapped. This surah is Meccan and has 20 ayats. So this is the 73rd surah of the Qur'an, surah al-Muzammil. And it is a Mecca surah according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by Imam al-Qurtubi, rahimahullahu ta'ala. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ya ayyuhal muzammil. You who are enwrapped in your clothing. This is a reference to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning the one wrapped up in his garment when revelation came to him out of fear of it because of his great awe for it. And Surah Al-Muzammil is from the early revelations that the Prophet ﷺ received. The Prophet ﷺ, it is said, received Surah Iqra first, then Surah Mudathir after that, and Surah Muzammil is also very early. And Mudathir and Muzammil are very similar in meaning. It is the one who is covered, either covered around him or covered over on top of him, wasallam. And both of them are mentioned in the narrations when the Prophet ﷺ first saw Jibreel in his, in his actual uh, form. The Prophet came to the house of Khadija radiallahu anha and on one occasion he said Zammiluni or in one narration he said Zammiluni, Zammiluni where you get the word Muzzammil from or in the other one Dathiruni Dathiruni where you get the version or the word Muddathir from and that is therefore from the very early times of uh, from the very early uh, period of Islam Stay up to pray at night except a little Half of it, or a little less, i.e. this is in relation to the whole night. A little less is from a half to a third. Or a little more, i.e. up to two thirds. Or there is a choice, and recite the Qur'an distinctly, meaning firm and firmly and deliberately. Allah tells the Prophet at the beginning of Islam that he should pray the night prayer. 
and this was a command for him and the early Muslims as well. This is at the very beginning of Islam. So they would stand and pray the night. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ, even after that obligation is lifted from the Muslims, he would continue to do so. Because it was one of the greatest means by which he would be able to turn to Allah and gain strength in the revelation that came to him. And so the Prophet ﷺ, it is said, never left the night prayer. He would always pray Qiyamul Layl. And that is why it is one of the greatest acts of worship that a person can perform after the obligatory deeds. And it has a great deal of reward and many virtues and benefits. And likewise, for the people of knowledge and the people who wish to seek and learn religion uh, or to study Islam, it is something which is highly recommended for them in particular. Who will impose a mighty word, meaning the Quran, upon you? Weighty means that it is awesome or possibly severe because of the obligation which it, obligations which, which it contains. In verse 5, and it is also said it is weighty because of the reward that it contains, meaning the weight of its reward. Another said weighty because of the revelation being heavy upon the Prophet Because as we've mentioned before, it would have a physical impact upon him وسلم, So one of the ways that he's told to gain strength is by standing for the night in prayer. And it has an amazing reward. And that is why in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, the hadith where he wants to see a dream, a salam hadith, and then he finally sees the dream and he asks Hafsa, his sister radiallahu anha, to ask the Prophet on his behalf. And the Prophet says, Ni'mar rajul Abdullah, law kana yaqum min al-layl. Your brother Abdullah is a righteous man, a blessed man. If only he stood the night in prayer. Ibn Umar says that I never left the night prayer after that. And so it has many virtues. Certainly, rising at night to pray has a stronger effect and is more conducive to concentration for the heart to listen and understand the Quran and pronunciation is more distinct. And this is something which we know from practice to pray at night when you're alone and it's quiet and there's no distractions or no disturbances is more likely to be a period of concentration and a period where you can turn to Allah and there's the period of the night in the last third that Allah Azza wa descends to the lowest heaven in the manner which befits His Majesty and asks people to make dua and to make istighfar and to give them His requests subhanahu wa ta'ala In the daytime, much of your time is taken up by business matters and so you do not have time to recite the Qur'an. Remember the name of your Lord, meaning say, in the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate, when you begin to recite, and devote yourself to Him completely, with worship and reliance on Him alone. Lord of the East and West, there is no God but Him, so take Him as your guardian and entrust all your affairs to him. Be steadfast in the face of what they, mean the unbelievers of Mecca, say to harm you, and cut yourself off from them, but courteously. Avoid them in a way which is without anxiety. This was before the command came to fight them. And in verse 10, as we've said before, even after the verse to come to fight has come, it is still something which a Muslim should do. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala says, Allah Azza mentions the sifa of Jameel, of being beautiful three times in the Quran. Sabrun Jameel, As-Safha al-Jameel, and Al-Hajr al-Jameel. Three things that Allah describes as being beautiful. The first is patience that is beautiful. And he says patience that is beautiful is patience in which a person doesn't complain. So if you're complaining and saying you're patient, it is not true patience. 
الصفحه الجميل to turn away in a way that is beautiful to pardon and forgive is to pardon and forgive without reproach that is the beautiful manner of making الصفحه and pardoning and الهجر الجميل to cut yourself off or abandon people in a nice way is to do it in a way in which there is no harm attached to it الهجر الجميل that it doesn't harm them and that is what Allah Azza wa praises the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophets for because even when they did things like this they did it in the best of, of manners Leave the deniers who live a life of ease to me and to tolerate them a little longer I will deal with them for you this refers to the leaders of Quraysh With us there are heavy iron shackles a blazing fire وَطَعَامًا ذَا غُصَّةٍ وَعَذَابًا أَلِيمًا And food that chokes, i.e. sticks in the throat, which is zaqum, or pus, or separation, or thorns from the fire, which do not go down the throat or come up, and a painful punishment, i.e. in addition to the painful punishment, which awaits, which awaits those who deny the Prophet يَوْمَ تَرْجُفُ الْأَرْضُ وَالْجِبَالُ وَكَانَتِ الْجِبَالُ كَثِيبًا مَهِيلًا On the day of rising, when the earth and mountains shake and the mountains become like shifting dunes of sand. We have sent you, people of Mecca, a messenger, meaning Muhammad وسلم, to bear witness against you on the day of rising about the disobedience which appeared in you, just as we sent Pharaoh a messenger, meaning Musa but Pharaoh disobeyed the messenger, so we seized him with terrible severity. How will you safeguard yourselves? From what fortresses will you have if you disbelieve, if you disbelieve in this world against the punishment of a day which will turn children grey, i.e. the hair will turn grey because of the hardship of that day? One says about a difficult day that the forelocks of children turn grey. It is a metaphor. It is also possible that what is meant is a real sign. In verse 17, it is a real sign because it is established in the Quran and it is established in the Sunnah that people, the young children, their hair will turn grey. So it is not a metaphor and it obviously means that it is an extremely terrifying day but it is something which will literally happen and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. By which heaven will be split apart. That is the day when the sky will split in two because of its severity. His promise will be fulfilled and will inevitably come to pass. This, meaning these frightening signs, truly is a reminder for preachers. So let anyone who wills take the way towards his Lord by faith and obedience. عَلِمَ أَنْ سَيَكُونُ مِنْكُمْ مَضَّى وَآخَرُونَ يَضْرِبُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ يَبْتَغُونَ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَآخَرُونَ يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ 
فقرؤوا ما تيسر منه وأقيموا الصلاة وآتوا الزكاة وأقرضوا الله قرضا حسنا وما تقدموا لأنفسكم من خير تجدوه عند الله هو خيرا وأعظم أجرا واستغفروا الله إن الله غفور رحيم Your Lord knows that you stay up nearly two thirds of the night or half of it or a third of it and a group of those with you i.e. some of your companions that is how one emulates him some of them did not know how much of the night to pray and how much of it to leave and so they would pray the entire night out of caution they stood in prayer until their feet were swollen for a year or more then Allah lightened it for them saying Allah determines the night and day he knows you will not keep count of it meaning and that you will not be able to calculate the prayer in it except by praying all of it and that is hard for you so he has turned towards you by making that lighter for you. Recite as much of the Qur'an as is easy for you by praying as much as is feasible. He knows that some of you are ill and that others are travelling in the land seeking Allah's bounty through trade and other work and that others are fighting the way of Allah in jihad. It was hard for these three groups to pray at night in the way that has been mentioned and therefore that was lightened for them so that they should pray as much as was feasible for them. Then that was abrogated by the five obligatory prayers. So recite as much of it as is easy for you and establish the obligatory prayer, prayer, pay zakat and lend a generous loan to Allah by spending more than the obligatory amount involved in the cause of good with cheerfulness. Whatever good you send ahead for your souls, you will find it with Allah as something better than what you leave behind and as a greater reward and seek forgiveness from Allah. Allah is a forgiving, most merciful to the believers. In this last verse of Surah Muzammil, this is an aspect which is often uh, not mentioned when it comes to the Salah and its obligation that people misunderstand. And that is, that at the beginning of Islam, the Salah was obligated as a night prayer. And the people were told to pray the night. And it wasn't told how much. So they would be told half or around half or more. And so Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum says in the, in the narration of Surah Abi Dawood, he says that at the beginning of Islam, the companions used to pray every night the way they would pray in Ramadan, meaning Taraweeh. And we know that in Ramadan their prayer would be extremely long. And he says until Allah Azza wa revealed this last verse of Surah Muzammil. And he says the distance or the length or the period of time between the first verse or the beginning of the Surah and the end of the Surah was a year. So for a year they did this. And then they were told, no, it's okay. Do as much as you can. It's up to you. And then Allah Azza wa Jal obviously changed this as well to the five daily prayers later on. And so it seems that Allah Azza wa knows best that this is the way that the prayer was obligated upon the Muslims. But as we said, the Prophet would continue to pray the night prayer alayhi salatu was salam. 74. Surah Al-Muddathir, the enveloped. This surah is Meccan and has 56 ayats. So this is the 74th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Muddathir, and we mentioned this. And this is the one that is mentioned in the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari, that one narration says that after the cave of Hira, after the initial revelation, revelation ceased for a while. And the Prophet even though initially he was awed, overawed by the experience, he began to miss revelation and he wanted more of it. And then the next time he saw Jibreel, he saw him filling the horizon in his original form. And that is what again awed him. And so he went and he to his wife and he asked her to cover him. In the, in the way by saying Dathiruni, Dathiruni. And this surah therefore is a Meccan surah by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Ya ayyuhal muddathir. You who are enveloped in your cloak. This is addressed to the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was enveloped in his garment when the revelation was sent down on him. 
Arise and warn the people of Mecca about what will happen if they do not believe. Magnify your Lord, exalting him above the shirk of the adulterers. Purify your clothes of impurity or shorten your garments to avoid the custom of the Arabs of dragging their garments on the ground out of pride and to avoid impurity getting on them. In verse number 4, Allah says, Purify your, uh, your clothes or yourself or your clothes. And the author takes the, the literal uh, meaning of that in his tafsir. The other position, and the one that was championed by Ibn Taymiyyah is that it is much more comprehensive than just a physical purification of the clothes. But it means purify your heart and purify your character and purify your appearance. And so Allah is not just referring to his physical appearance but there is a command to purify his heart in verse number 4. Purify your heart, purify your character and purify your appearance. Shun all filth. The Prophet explained filth as meaning idols. Continue to avoid them. Do not give anything out of a desire for gain, meaning in order to seek a greater gift in return. This is peculiar to the Prophet because he was commanded to have the most beautiful character and noblest manners. In verse number 6, this is the opinion of many of the scholars of Islam. Peculiar to the Prophet, meaning specific, special to the Prophet that for him, he wasn't allowed to have this intention. Then he gives something in the hope that he is returned with something. For other people, if they happen, it, it, it is something which isn't, it is something which is not a good characteristic, but it's something which is, the, which they can have that kind of intention in their heart, as many people do, in the hope that maybe they will receive something else. But the highest position and the best of character is when you give without the hope of receiving anything back. And for the Prophet ﷺ, he was told, this is how you must be, because he has a higher level that he is held to than others. Be steadfast for your Lord in observing his commands and provisions. For when the second blast of the trumpet is blown, that day when the trumpet is blown will be a difficult day. Not easy for the unbelievers. This indicates that it will be easy for the believers. Leave the person I created on his own to me alone, without his family or wealth, meaning Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. Him to whom I've given great wealth, meaning vast fields and flocks and trade. And sons who stay with him, i.e. Al-Walid had ten or more sons present in assemblies whose testimony was accepted. And whose way I smoothed with respect to his livelihood, life and children. Then he wants me to add yet more. In these verses, Allah is speaking about someone and the scholars say that it is this man, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. And this is mentioned in some of the books of Sirah and biography and history. And that is that they say that Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira at one point was someone who would, try, who would sit with the Prophet and listen to the Qur'an. And he would be amazed by it. Until the people, the chieftains of Quraysh said to one another that Al-Walid ibn Mughira is one of our most senior tribal leaders. If he accepts Islam, it will be a big blow to us. It will be a big blow to us. So, and that's because Al-Walid ibn said not only would sit with the Prophet but also with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu at the very beginning of Islam. Abu Jahl said to the other leaders of Quraysh, leave it with me. I know how to deal with him. I know which button to push with him. 
And so he went to Al-Walid, Abu Jahl, and he said to him, do you know what your people are saying about you? He said, no, what are they saying? They say about you, he said to him, they say about you that you are in need, you're poor. And that's why you go to Abu Bakr, because he's wealthy and you need his help, and you're going there groveling and begging. And so he became angry, and Walid said, there's no one more wealthier than me, no with more sins than me in Mecca. Why would I need to go to Abu Bakr to ask him for money? He said, we don't know. We think that you got some financial trouble and problems and that's why you're going. And that's why you keep going and you don't stay away. And so then Al-Walid, because of the arrogance within him and his pride that his honor is being attacked, he said, I will never sit with them again. I will never sit with Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi I will never sit with Abu Bakr. And so he went back to, uh, to his disbelief and he said these statements. Who has more wealth than me? Who has more children than me? And that is what Allah Azzawajal is referring to and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows best. No indeed, I will not give him more. He is obdurate about our signs, i.e. meaning that he opposes the Qur'an. I will force him to climb a fiery slope, meaning endure a difficult punishment, or it may refer to a mountain of fire, which he will constantly climb up and then slip down, and then do it again. He reflected on what the Qur'an says, which he heard from the Prophet. وسلم, and considered it further. Curse him. How he considered. The word qutila is an invocation against someone. Again, curse him. How he considered. Then he looked at the faces of his people or thought of how he would be rebuked if he accepted it. Then he frowned and glowered. Glowering is a, is a stronger form of frowning. Then he drew back from faith and was too proud to follow the Prophet He said, this is nothing but is transmitted magic from the past. This is nothing but the words of a human being, i.e. another human being taught him this. سَأُصْلِيهِ سَقَرُ I will make him into hellfire and roast him in saqar. وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا سَقَرُ What will convey to you what saqar is because it is so immense and terrifying. لَا تُبْقِي وَلَا تَذَرُ It does not spare anything of flesh or sinew but destroys it all and does not eat up and then it is restored to what it was before. لَوَّاحَةٌ لِلْبَشَرُ Ceaselessly scorching the outside of the flesh. There are 19 angels in charge of it. One of the unbelievers who was very strong said, I can deal with 17 and you can deal with two for me. Then Allah revealed in this verse 30 and the next verse it is said it is referring to this man again from Quraysh by the name of Khalada ibn Usaid ibn Khalaq one of the chieftains who said to them when Allah revealed this verse in Surah Al-Mudathir in order to continue to motivate his people to reject Allah he said that if all of Quraysh can deal with two of these 19 angels, I'll deal with the other 17. You take two on amongst yourselves, I'll do the rest. And that is what Allah Azza wa is referring to, and Allah knows best. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا أَصْحَابَ النَّارِ إِلَّا مَلَائِكَةً وَمَا جَعَلْنَا عِدَّتَهُمْ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِيَسْتَيْقِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لِيَسْتَيْقِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ وَيَزْدَادَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِيمَانًا وَلَا يَرْتَابَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَلِيَقُولَ الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ وَالْكَافِرُونَ 
وليقول الذين في قلوبهم مرضوا والكافرون ماذا أراد الله بهذا مثلا كذلك يضل الله من يشاء ويهدي من يشاء وما يعلم جنود ربك إلا هو وما هي إلا ذكرى للبشر We have only appointed angels as masters of the fire meaning and they are not as they imagine and we have only specified their number as a trial for those who disbelieve meaning to misguide them so that they would say what they did say so that those who were given the book i.e. meaning the Jews who believed in the Prophet وسلم, might gain in certainty i.e. might confirm their number as being 19 that since was in their book as well and that those who believe among the people of the book of the book might increase in their belief by realizing that what the Prophet وسلم, brought was in harmony in the previous books and that both those who were given the book and the believers might have no doubt about their number of the angels and so that those with the sickness with sickness in their hearts in Medina and the unbelievers in Mecca might say what did Allah intend by this example involving their number because of the strangeness of it in this way i.e. as he misguides the one who denies this number and he guides the one who affirms it Allah misguides those he wills and guides those he wills no one knows the allegiance of your Lord meaning here the angels with their power and their helpers but him this i.e. Saqar is nothing but a, com- but a reminder to all human beings. No, indeed, by the moon. And the night when it withdraws. And the dawn when it grows clear and bright. It, meaning Saqar, truly is one of the greatest of all things, i.e. trials. A warning to human beings. For any of you who want to go forward to good or to the garden by means of faith or hang back and go to evil or to the fire because of unbelief. Every self is held in pledge against what it earned, meaning it will be seized in the fire on account of its actions. Except for the companions of the right, meaning the believers, they will be saved from the fire. In gardens they will ask, عن المجرمين the evil doers ما سلككم في سقر what caused you to enter سقر قالوا لم نكن من المصلين they will say we were not among those who performed the prayer ولم نكن طعم المسكين and we did not feed the poor وكنا نخوض مع الخائضين we plunged into falsehood and vanity with those who plunged وكنا نكذب بيوم الدين and denied the day of judgment, i.e. meaning the resurrection and payment, repayment. Until the certain, meaning death, came to us. The intercession of the interceders will not help them. The interceders are the angels, the prophets and the righteous. This means that there will not be no intercession for them. What is the matter with them that they run from the reminder, i.e. and turn away from the warning? كأنهم حمر مستنفرة like panicked wild donkeys فرت من قصورة fleeing from a lion as fast as one can flee Allah Azza wa Jal in these verses compares these people in the way that they turn away from the message of Allah as a pack of wild donkeys fleeing from a lion قصورة means predator and some of the scholars said it refers to lion and others said that it refers to a hunter but a better translation is predator in any shape, way, shape or form that that predator can come and obviously clearly a lion is one of them. Kullu 
In fact, each one of them wants to be given an unfurled scroll from Allah before they follow the Prophet For they said, we will not believe until a book is sent down on us which we can read. No, indeed, this is to reject what they wanted. The truth is that they do not fear the punishment of the next world. No, indeed, it is truly a reminder, i.e. Quran. To which anyone who wills may pay heed. Anyone who, wish, who wishes may recite it and be admonished. But they will only pay heed if Allah wills. He is entitled to be feared and entitled to forgive. Allah should be feared and he will forgive those who fear him. And in verse 56, the alternate reading is وَمَا تَذْكُرُونَ And that is the recitation of Nafi'ah. 75. Surah Al-Qiyamah, the rising. This surah is Meccan and has 40 ayats. And this is the 75th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Qiyamah. And Qiyamah literally means to stand. It is called the day of Qiyamah, the day of standing and rising, because the people will rise from their graves. And it is a Makki surah according to all of the scholars of Tafsir as mentioned by Imam Al-Qurtubi, Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا أقسم بيوم القيامة No, I swear by the day of rising. The la is emphatic in this ayat and the next. ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة No, I swear by the self-reproaching self, which is critical of itself, even if it strives to do good. So in these verses we can see that Allah Azza wa takes an oath and he begins with the word la. And la generally means no in the Arabic language or is to negate something. And this will be done in a number of places in the Quran. We've already had examples of this. فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمَا تُبْسِرُونَ فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِرَبِّ الْمَشَارِقِ And it will continue to come. لَا أُقْسِمُ بِهَذَا الْبَلَدِ And so what is the meaning of the lamb? And we refer to this previously as well. Uh, three positions. Number one is that it is done to add emphasis to the oath. The lamb is to add emphasis. And it is a structure from the structures of the Arabic language. As Allah says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ and know by your Lord. The know here is not to negate, but know to add emphasis to the oath. That is one position. The second one is that the lamb here is to show that this isn't something that should require an oath being said concerning it, because it is so clear. La uqsimu biyomil It No, it doesn't need an oath, but Allah takes an oath by it. Meaning that that is how clear it is. That is the second position. And the third position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that the no is to negate the false belief that the Quraysh and the disbelievers had concerning this issue. لا أقسم بيوم القيامة No, it is not that the, the way that they think mean that there will be no resurrection and no accounting. Allah takes an oath by the Day of Judgment. And those are the three positions and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. In second verse, وَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِالنَّفْسِ اللَّوَّامَةِ Allah takes an oath by the self-reproaching self. As Ibn Taymiyyah al-Naqim rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is the soul that reproaches itself and reproaches others. What is within you? that tells you that you've done something right or wrong about yourself and about others. Does man, i.e. the unbeliever, imagine we will not reassemble his bones for the resurrection and being brought back to life? On the contrary, we are well able to reshape his fingers as they were despite of their small size. So how can that not be the case with what is, large, with what is larger? بَلْ يُرِيدُ الْإِنسَانُ لِيَفْجُرَ أَمَامَهِ Yet man still wants to deny what is ahead of him, meaning the day of rising. يَسْأَلُ أَيَّانَ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ Asking, so when is the day of rising? They ask this question out of mockery and denial. فَإِذَا بَرِقَ الْبَصَرِ 
But when the eyesight is dazzled, when it sees what it used to deny, القمر, and the moon is eclipsed, meaning it goes dark and its light departs, القمر, and the sun and moon are fused together, when they both rise from the west, or when the light of both of them disappears, that is the day of rising. On that day, man will say, where can I flee to? Oh, indeed, there will be no safe place where they can escape to and a refuge in which they can protect themselves. That day, your only resting place will be your Lord, meaning where creatures stop for their reckoning and repayment. That day, man will be told what he did and failed to do, his actions first to last. In fact, Man will be clear proof against himself. His limbs will bear witness against him, testifying about what he did. Repayment for one's actions is inevitable. In spite of any excuses he might offer, no excuse that anyone brings will be accepted. Allah said to his Prophet ﷺ, Do not move your tongue, trying to hasten it, i.e. to hasten the Qur'an, before Jibreel ﷺ finishes conveying it out of fear that you may lose some of it. And these verses, as we mentioned before, 16 onwards, these few verses refer to how, as you mentioned, the narration of Ibn Abbas, al-Bukhari, and Muslim, how when the Prophet ﷺ would first receive revelation, he would often move his tongue very fast in trying to repeat what Jibreel ﷺ would bring to him, out of fear that he would forget what the revelation was. And so Allah said to him, do not move your tongue so fast, out of fear that you will forget, but rather we will make you memorize it. And we will make you understand it and we will explain it to you. And so then the Prophet would recite calmly and measuredly. And that is why, as Allah mentions in Surah Al Muzammil, read the Quran with Tartil, as we mentioned before. Tartil is not about the voice and beautifying it, even though that's something you should do to the best of your ability. It means to read in a calm and measured way, giving each of the letters and words of the Quran that you write. Its collection and recitation are our concern. We collect it in your breast and make you recite it on your tongue. So when we recite it, follow its recitation. When Jibreel salam recites it to you, then listen to its recitation. The Prophet وسلم, will listen to it and then recite it. Then its explanation is our concern. Then we make you understand it. No, indeed, but you love this fleeting world. And the alternate reading of verse 20 is, is Yuhibbuna, with the Ya, which is the reading of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr and others. And you disregard the next world and do not work for it. Faces that day, i.e., the day of rising, will be beautiful and radiant. Gazing at their Lord, they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the next world. And faces that day will be glowing in intense displeasure. Realizing that a back breaking blow has fallen, they are certain that a disaster has occurred which breaks the back due to its severity. No, indeed, when it, meaning the breath, reaches the gullet, i.e., the throat. And he hears the words from those around him. Who can heal him now? 
And he knows it is indeed the final parting. He is certain that his spirit has reached the moment of departing from this world. And one leg is entwined with the other in death, or it is a metaphor for the intensity of the experience of leaving this world and going to the next world. That day you will be driven to your Lord. The meaning is, when the breath reaches the gullet, he will be driven to the judgment of his Lord. In verse 29, Allah Azza wa says, One leg is entwined with the other. And the scholars differ as to what that refers to. Some of them said it refers to death. When a person, their, their legs are placed together, or one over the other, meaning because of the difficulty of death that comes to them. Another said it is metaphorical, as Ibn Kathir ta'ala said, the two legs joining meaning, that when the last day of the dunya merges with the first day of the akhirah, when that person is dying, that moment that they die, that is their last day of earth. And the next moment is the first day of the akhirah. And that is what Allah Azza wa is referring to in the meeting of those two legs. فَلَا صَدَّقَ وَلَا صَلَّى He neither affirmed the truth, nor did he do the prayer. وَلَكِنْ كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى But rather denied the truth, meaning the Qur'an, and turned away from faith. ثُمَّ ذَهَبَ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ يَتَمَطَّى and then went off to his family, swaggering, i.e. arrogant in his gait. Closer to you and closer, meaning there is a change to the second person. What you dislike is coming nearer, and it is nearer to you than anything else. Then closer to you and closer still, i.e. this is for emphasis. In verses 34 and 35, Allah Azza wa four times mentions this, awla, awla. And the scholars differ as to what it means. One is, as the author Taala says, that it refers to it being coming closer and closer, meaning your accounting and your judgment. And the second position is that the word awla comes from wail, meaning destruction and punishment. Destruction upon you and destruction again. And then destruction again and destruction again. That is the other tafsir. So one is refers to the coming of the accounting, drawing closer, and the other one that it refers to, destruction and punishment. But either way, the scholars say, all of them agree, that it is a threat of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does man reckon he will be left to go unche- unchecked, meaning left ignored, and not subject to laws, or taken into account? Was he not a drop of ejaculated sperm? And the other reading is Tumna. Yumna is the reading of Hafsa Ya'qub and everyone else reads it with a ta, Tumna. Then a blood clot, which he created and shaped, when the drop of sperm became a blood clot, from which Allah created the human being and made his limbs balanced. Making from it both sexes, male and female. Allah makes a clot of blood from the sperm and then a piece of flesh from that and then male and female sometimes both together and sometimes each one separately. Is he who does that not able to bring the dead to life? In answer to this question the Prophet ﷺ said Yes indeed he is. 76 Surat Al-Insan Man this surah is Meccan or Medinan and has 31 ayats. So this is the 76th surah of the Quran, Suratul Insan, referring to mankind or humans. And it is a Makki surah according to some of the scholars such as Ibn Kathir, but the majority of the scholars seem to hold the opinion that it is a Madani surah. 
according to the majority of the scholars as mentioned by some of them. And it is the surah that the Prophet ﷺ would recite in the Fajr prayer of the Friday morning as mentioned in the Hadith of Sahih Muslim alongside Surah As-Sajda. He would recite Surah As-Sajda in the first rak'ah and Surah Insan in the second rak'ah. And from the names that it is also known by in some of the early works of Tafsir is Surah Al-Dahar. Surah Al-Dahar. Hal ata'ala al-insani heenum min al-dahari. Surah Al-Dahar. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. هل أتى على الإنسان حين من الدهر لم يكن شيئا مذكورا حزمان meaning Adam عليه السلام ever known a point of time i.e. said to be 40 years during which he was being formed from mud when he was not something remembered for it may be that the word man is being used here as a generic term and the time referred to is the period in the womb إِنَّا خَلَقَنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطْفَةٍ أَمْشَاجٍ نَبَتَلِيهِ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا We created man from a mingled rock, i.e. referring to the liquid, coming from the man mixing with that of the woman, to test him, by making him responsible for his actions once he reaches puberty, and we made him hearing and seeing. إِنَّا هَدَيْنَاهُ السَّمِيلَ إِمَّا شَاكِرًا وَإِمَّا كَفُورًا we guided him on the way, i.e. the path of guidance, by sending the messengers, whether he is thankful, i.e. by being a believer, or unthankful, i.e. by being an ungrateful believer, the two states being clear and distinct from one another. <laughs> we have made ready for the unbelievers shackles with which they will be chained in the fire, and collars on their necks which are attached to the chain, to chains, and they will be, and they will be punished in the searing blaze. إِنَّ الْأَبْرَارَ يَشْرَبُونَ مِنْ كَأْسٍ كَانَ مِزَاجُهَا كَافُورًا The truly good, meaning they are those who obey Allah, will drink from a cup of wine mixed with the coolness of camphor in its sweetness. يَشْرَبُ بِهَا عِبَادُ اللَّهِ يُفَجِّرُونَهَا تَفْجِيرًا A spring, i.e. a fountain of camphor, in which is a cool fragrance, from which Allah slays, meaning the awliya, will drink, making it gush forth at will abundantly. This will be guided to it from their homes in the garden. يُوفُونَ بِالنَّذْرِ وَيَخَافُونَ يَوْمًا كَانَ شَرُّهُ مُسْتَطِيرًا They fulfill their vows to obey Allah and fear a day whose evil will spread far and wide. وَيُطْعِمُونَ الطَّعَامَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ مِسْكِينًا وَيَتِيمًا وَأَسِيرًا They give food despite their love for it. To the poor and orphans and captives, meaning those rightly imprisoned. In verse number 8, Allah says concerning these believers and their description, and this is a beautiful surah that speaks not only about these believers that will have Jannah, but then we'll go into great detail concerning their rewards and blessings in Jannah. Allah says, They give food despite their love for it. What is it? Some of the scholars said the it refers to their love for Allah. They give food because of their love for feeding for the sake of Allah. Or the other scholars such as the Tabri and Kathir said, they give food despite their love of it, meaning the love of that food. And the way that you combine between those two tafsirs is that they give from the food that they love for the sake of the one that they love, meaning Allah Azza wa Jal. So they give from the best of their food for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّمَا نُطْعِمُكُمْ لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءً وَلَا شُكُورًا We feed you only out of desire for the face of Allah, i.e. for His reward. 
We do not want any repayment from you or any thanks for feeding you. There are two views about this ayat. Either they may be saying that or Allah knows it about them and praises them for it. And both oppositions amongst the scholars of tafsir. Is it that that's what they're saying? Or is that what Allah Azza wa says about them? And both it's possible that they say that and then Allah Azza wa does that as well because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards people in accordance to what they do towards others. Truly, we fear from our Lord a glowering, calamitous day on the day when faces look gloomy because of the hardship which they experience. So Allah has safeguarded them from the evil of that day and has made them meet with radiance and pure joy. I.e. Allah has given their faces beauty and light. And will reward them for their steadfastness, meaning in avoiding disobedience with a garden and with silk, i.e. to earth. متكين فيها على الأرائك لا يرون فيها شمسا ولا زمهريرا. This is their state when they enter it, reclining in it on couches. They will experience there neither burning sun nor bitter cold. The word for sun, zamharir, is also said to mean the moon, indicating that there will be neither sun nor moon there. In verse number 13, Allah Azza wa says that they will not experience in their sun or zamharir. And the author or the translator really has said that the word for sun zamharir and zamharir refers to the bitter cold. That's what zamharir is. And so you have the bitter or the extreme heat and the bitter cold. And so the people of Jannah will face neither. They will have neither the extreme heat that comes with the sun being bright on days and the bitter cold that comes from the winter period. Allah Azza wa will save them from both. وَدَانِيَةً عَلَيْهِمْ ظِلَالُهَا وَذُلِّلَتْ قُطُوفُهَا تَذْلِيلًا Its shading branches, i.e. those of its trees, will drip down over them, close at hand from a place which they cannot see. Its ripe fruit, hanging ready to be picked, meaning so that anyone standing, sitting down, or lying down can pluck them. وَيُطَافُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِآنِيَةٍ مِّنْ فِضَّةٍ وَأَكْوَابٍ كَانَتْ قَوَارِيرًا Vessels, i.e. cups without handles, or silver and goblets of pure crystal will be passed around among them. Crystalline silver, meaning made of silver so fine that it is like glass in its transparency. They have measured them very, act, very exactly. Those who pass them around have measured the amount very exactly so that they contain the amount which they want to drink, no more and no less, and it is the most delicious drink. وَيُسْقَوْنَ فِيهَا كَأْسًا كَانَ مِزَاجُهَا زَنْجَبِيلًا They will be given there a cup of wine to drink, mixed with the warmth of ginger. عَيْنًا فِيهَا تُسَمَّى سَلْسَبِيلًا In it, there is a flowing spring called Salsabil, i.e. a spring whose water is like zanjabil, ginger, which the Arabs enjoy and which is easy to drink. وَيَطُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ وِلْدَانٌ مُخَلَّدُونَ إِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ حَسِبَتَهُمْ لُؤْلُؤًا مَنْثُورًا Ageless youths, meaning who never grow old, i.e. will circulate among them, serving them, seeing them because of their beauty and how they are dispersed, you would think them scattered pearls, i.e. detached from a necklace or from a shell, or more beautiful still. In verse number 19, as we mentioned a number of times now, the word غِلْمَان doesn't mean youths. They are young in age, but it refers to servants of Jannah. And the Arabs often call their servants Ghulam in Arabic, 
the, a person, even an adult servant, is called ghulam in Arabic language. So when Allah says they are ghilman, it refers to their age, but primarily it refers to them being servants. They are ageless servants that Allah has placed within Jannah. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَ ثَمَّ رَأَيْتَ نَعِيمَهُ وَمُلْكًا كَبِيرًا Seeing them in the garden, you see delight in a great king, kingdom, indescribable bliss, and a vast limitless realm. عَالِيَهُمْ ثِيَابُ سُنْدُسٍ خُضْرٌ وَإِسْتَبَرَقَ وَحُلُّوا أَسَامِرَ مِنْ فِضَّةٍ وَسَقَاهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ شَرَابًا طَهُورًا They will wear green garments of fine silk and rich silk brocade, which has a thick silk, on the outside and the fine on the inside, or the reverse. They will be adorned with silver bracelets. Silver bracelets are mentioned here, whereas gold bracelets are mentioned elsewhere in Surah Al-Kaf. They wear both together or separately, and their Lord will give them a pure throat to drink, extremely pure and clean, which is not the case with the wine of this world. And the alternate reading in verse 21 is Alihim, Aliyahum and Alihim, which is the reading of Nafi' and Hamza and Abu Ja'far. إِنَّ هَذَا كَانَ لَكُمْ جَزَاءً وَكَانَ سَعْيُكُمْ مَشْكُورًا This bliss is your reward. Your striving is fully acknowledged. إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ تَنْزِيلًا It is we, i.e. the word we is stressed, who have sent down the Qur'an, who have sent the Qur'an down to you, little by little, in parts, not all at once. فَاصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ وَلَا تُطِعْ مِنْهُمْ آثِمًا أَوْ كَفُورًا Therefore, wait patiently for the judgment of your Lord as to how he decides to convey his message. Do not obey any unbelieving, evildoer, or thankless man among them. This refers to Utbah bin Rabi'ah and Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira who said to the Prophet ﷺ, desist from this business. It can also refer to every evildoer or unbeliever, meaning do not obey any of them, whoever they are in respect of any act of evil doing or unbelief they invite you to do. Remember the name of your Lord in the morning and the evening, i.e. in the prayers of Fajr, Dhuhr and Asr. Prostrate to him during the night, meaning in the prayers of Maghrib and Asha, and glorify him throughout the long night, i.e. in the voluntary night prayers of Tahajjud for two-thirds, a half or a third of it. And Allah often in the Qur'an as we can see when the Prophet is told be patient with them don't worry about their harm towards you he is often then instructed to glorify Allah and praise him and make sajda meaning pray and Shaykh Muthimin in his Sharh al-Mumti in one of his works has a very beautiful statement concerning this and the meaning of sajda and that is that the Prophet is being told to prostrate so why is it then that when we prostrate we don't feel the same level of iman being boosted and protection and so on and he says, because the first thing that prostrates is the heart before anything else. And it is when the heart is prostrating to Allah before the limbs and the body, then you take its full benefit. But often we go into prostration, but our hearts are in prostration. They are humble before Allah. They are not subservient to Allah. They are not submitting to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is therefore important to understand in the meaning of how you get that full benefit of the prostration that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions often in the Qur'an. Those people love this fleeting world and have put the thought of a momentous day, i.e. the day of rising, behind their backs, for which they did not work. We created them and made their limbs and their joints strong, and if you wish, we can replace them with others like them. 
we can destroy them and put others in their place. This surah truly is a reminder for all creation. So whoever wills should take the way towards his Lord through obedience to him. وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَن يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا But she will not, but she will not will, unless Allah wills. This refers to taking the path of obedience. You will not do this unless Allah wills it. Allah is all-knowing of His creation, all-wise in what He does. And the alternate reading is يَشَاءُونَ which is the reading of Ibn Kathir, Abu Amr and Ibn Amir. يُدَخِلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ وَالظَّالِمِينَ أَعَدَّ لَهُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا He admits whomever he wills into his mercy, meaning his garden, that means other believers, but he has prepared a painful punishment for the wrongdoers, i.e. the unbelievers. Yeah. 77. Surat Al-Mursalat, those sent forth. This surah is Meccan except, and it has, and it has 50 ayats. And this is the 77th surah of the Quran and the last one of the 29th juz, surah al-Mursalat. And Mursal is something that has been sent forth and we will see what it is referring to shortly inshallah ta'ala. It is a Makki surah and that is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wal-Mursalati urfa. By those winds sent forth in succession which follow one another like horses following one another. Allah Azza wa takes an oath and we mentioned this before when we were speaking about Surah Al-Safat and uh, At-Tur and, and other Surahs with Dariyati Darwa that Allah Azza wa often takes an oath either by name or something or by description and this is a description. What is it referring to? Some of the scholars said it refers to the Malaika, the angels that Allah sends forth. Some of them said it refers to the angels that Allah sends forth. But the opinion of the majority, such as Ibn Kathir and Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqeet and others, is that it refers to the wind. And Imam al-Tabari seems to combine between them, that it refers to the wind that Allah sends, and the angels that Allah sends, and the messengers that Allah sends. And Allah Azza knows best. But the majority of the scholars of tafsir hold that it refers to the wind, as a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالْعَاصِفَاتِ عَصْفَى By the violently gusting blasts, i.e. fierce winds. وَالنَّاشِرَاتِ نَشْرًا By the scattering, scattering, meaning winds which spread the rain. فَالْفَارِقَاتِ فَرْقًا By the winnowers winnowing, i.e. ayats of the Qur'an which distinguish the truth from the false and the lawful from the unlawful. Uh, the verse, this verse here, فَالْفَارِقَاتِ فَرْقًا refers to the verses of the Qur'an. And the winnowers, winnowers winnowing, a winnower is what they have in, sometimes on, on farms and so on where they have seeds and those seeds are mixed with dirt of the earth and they have the implement that they use where they shake the seeds so that the, the seeds remain and all of the small bits and specks of dust are removed. That's a winnower. That's what it refers to. But that is a translation that the translators have brought. Farfariqati farqa means that those that separate forcefully. Those that separate forcefully. Meaning that Allah Azza wa sends down the Quran and its verses separate forcefully between the truth and what is false. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Falmulqiyati dhikra by those hurling a reminder, meaning angels who descend with the revelation to the prophets and messengers who give it to other nations. Excusing or warning from Allah Almighty. What you, unbelievers of Mecca, are promised in terms of resurrection and punishment will certainly happen. And verse 7 then is the jawab al qasam. It is the reason that Allah has taken all of these oaths. What is Allah taking an oath for? It is Yawmul Qiyamah. 
When the stars are extinguished and the light disappears. When, the heaven, when heaven is split open. When the mountains are pulverized and become powder and shift. When the messenger's time is appointed. And the alternate reading is with a wow, وقيتت, which is the reading of Abu Amr and Abu Ja'far. Until what day is that deferred? That is a terrible day when it's time for nations to testify that the message was conveyed to them. Until the day of decision between cre- creatures when accounting will take place between them. And what will teach you what the terrifying day of decision is? On that promised day, woe to the deniers. And this surah is similar to Surah Al-Rahman in the sense that this verse, which is the 15th verse, is repeated a number of times in, in this surah. And just as we said in Surah Al-Rahman, that each one of those verses in Surah Al-Rahman is to speak about the blessings that come before it. Likewise, in this surah, this verse is to show how people deny Allah Azza wa Jal, and then Allah rebukes them for each one of those issues that they deny. Did we not destroy the early peoples for their denial? This means that Allah destroyed them. Then succeed them with later ones who denied and were destroyed, a threat to the unbelievers of Mecca. That is how we deal with evildoers who deny and will continue to deal with those who deny in the future. They too will be destroyed. On that day, woe to the deniers. Did we not create you from a base fluid, i.e. sperm? Then place it in a secure repository, the womb. For a recognized term, i.e. until the day of your birth. It is we who determine what an excellent determiner we are. On that day, woe to the deniers. Did we not make the earth a receptacle? Are you using the word kifat from kifata, which means to collect together and gather? For the living on the surface of the earth and the dead inside the earth. Did we not place firmly embedded mountains in it, soaring high into the air, and give you sweet fresh water to drink? On that day, woe to the deniers, then this will be said to the deniers on the day of rising. Proceed to that which he denied. Proceed to a shadow, meaning the smoke of hellfire when it rises, which forks into three because of its, because of its immensity. But gives no shade or protection from the flames. Nothing shades people from the heat of that day or defends them from the fire. The fire shooting up great sparks the size of castles i.e. in their size and heights. Like a herd of yellow camels. They are yellow, sofr, in appearance and color. In a hadith we find, the worst of people will be black like pitch. The Arabs call black camels yellow because their blackness is tinged with yellow. It is said that sofr in the ayat means black, 
for the reason just mentioned, but it is also said that this is not the case. And that is the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir in verse 33, as the Tabari rahimahullah mentions, that the word sufr here means black. So therefore the translation of the verse is like a herd of black camels, and not of yellow camels. The yellow here is a description that the Arabs give to a certain color that they find in camels that are extremely dark. And the hadith that the author mentions here, the worst of people will be black like pitch. I couldn't find that hadith despite my attempts to find it. So I don't know exactly what he's referring to. Rahimahullah ta'ala, nor could I find anyone else referencing that hadith when it came to the tafsir of this particular verse. And Allah knows best. On that day, woe to the deniers. This is the day of resurrection on which they will not say a single word. Nor will they be allowed to offer any excuses. There is no permission and so there is no offering of excuses. On that day, woe to the deniers. This is the day of decision. We have gathered you, deniers in this community and the earlier peoples. I.e. the deniers, the deniers before you, all of you will receive your reckoning and be punished. So if you have a ploy, use it against me now. If you have any stratagem by which to evade the punishment, then use it. On that day, woe to the deniers. The God-fearing will be amid shade of dense trees and fountains flowing with water and have any fruits that they desire. This tells us that food and drink in the garden will appear according to people's desires, which is not the case in this world, where it is generally according to what people find. They will be told, Eat and drink with relish for what you did by way of obedience. This is the way we reward good doers, i.e. the God-fearing. On that day, woe to the deniers. This is addressed to the unbelievers in this world. Eat and enjoy yourselves for a little while, meaning while you are in this world until death. This is a threat to them. You are evildoers. On that day, woe to the deniers. When they are told to bow, they do not bow. When they are told to pray, they do not pray. On that day, woe to the deniers. In what discourse after this Quran then will they believe? They cannot truly believe in other books of Allah if they deny it, because it has the quality of imitability, which the others do not. And so with that we come to the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Mursalat and the end of the 29th Juz. And therefore, the end of today's session. Wassalamu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.